Hello and welcome to the BNB show. My name is Brandon. That is Brendan over here. As we come to you here, coming through the off season, and we're just ramping up him and me as far as free agency goes. It's here on the horizon. We're inside a month away from free agency. We're all hoping maybe our Seahawks can be at least a little bit active during this period to help upgrade the team. I do welcome you on into the house tonight, Brendan. How are you doing, my fine sir? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm ready to get this show on the road. We're all in the offseason now. Every team, every player, every fan, we're all in the offseason finally. Everybody is indeed looking on into the future, into the hopes of the free agent period, the end of the draft, that their team can then get themselves up to be a forefront type team into next season, a contender. We're going, trying to be a contender, Brendan. Mm -hmm. And we're no different. We are obviously both you and I are looking with a patient approach, I think, at this team from a long-term view, but we're also like any fan hoping they can make some moves here through this offseason to, to jet themselves a little bit forward. But before we get to free agency, which me and Brendan will be definitely covering in full here into the next month, back and forth between him and my channel. And if you're not subscribed, get over to Seahawks Brendan Nelson and get subscribed to his channel right now. But we're going to go over what you've got to go through before you get to free agency because it's a process. And the first process before getting there is going to be looking at your own free agents and which ones you want to keep, which ones you aren't, because that's the starting point. Teams usually will resign their guys a little bit in this period now before the free agent period begins. So we're going to be looking at some of our own on that. We're going to start at the top, though, with some news. And Brendan, let, why don't you start us off with this a little bit on what we've got going on here at the top with some breaking. Got some breaking news. I don't know if it's big breaking news. Let's call it breaking news, though, because that yeah. sounds more exciting. Yeah, we don't get to do breaking news on the show a lot because news often doesn't break in the evening. But uh, we have lost a coach. And for the first time in what feels like a while, we have lost a coach because he was good, not because he was bad. So that's kind of <laughs> nice, I guess, right? That is kind of nice. Though, I, I mean, Schottenheimer has been kind of failing up here even after mm -hmm. we left. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we lost our former wide receiver coach, former passing game coordinator, and most recently, the QB coach, Dave Canales, has found work in Tampa Bay. He is going to become their offensive coordinator, a position that he has never held. He has been with Seattle since Carroll got here. He came with Carroll because he was at USC before he came to Seattle. So he's been connected to the hip with Carroll for a long time. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. He had his hand in many different pies when he was here. And every pie that he put his hand into seemed to get better for it. He was the wide receiver coach for about eight years, did some fantastic work with uh, receivers, many of whom were no names coming into the league. UDFAs like Doug Baldwin and um, Jermaine Curse, And then he became the passing a QB coach for two of, I would say, Wilson's three best seasons in the NFL so far. And then he became the QB coach for Geno Smith this most recent year and took a career backup bust to a Pro Bowl. So he's built up quite a resume and he certainly deserves this opportunity and to a certain extent, look, when you're good, you're going to lose coaches to other teams. That's the way things work in the NFL. That's the way this ecosystem works. You take from the best and you give to the ones that need improvement. So not surprising, but I'm sad to see him go personally because he did some great work here. 
boy, and he certainly has earned this promotion. Some of these coaches in this league get their promotions and you go, how would, what has he done there? Uh, but with this guy, it's a guy that, like you just said and mentioned, so many of his success stories here, and especially in retrospect of it, um, seeing how hard of a job it was for Hackett to acclimate to Russell Wilson in Denver. But as you mentioned, the way that he got the most out of Wilson at, a, at the time in his career that he did. And then certainly really the big one is going to be Geno and the way the NFL looks at that situation where it's like, well, this doesn't happen every other day. You turning this quarterback and you've got to have some hand in this. This has got to be you with a part of this here and uh, giving him some credit with that. So it is well-earned. It is a bit of a ding for us, Brendan. Um, it, it may be a thing that dings us, especially as far as uh, quarterback development, because I think quarterback coach gets forgotten about. We get caught up on offense and defensive coordinators, but the quarterback coach, you could say, is as much the most important positional coach as any that you have, because he's got to be in there really going through the the minute details with the quarterback and make sure he's on every part of that while the offensive coordinator can kind of guide things strategically. Right. And um, he took a guy with him, at least one guy that we know of so far, is Jeff Isik who was an assistant receiver coach here, now becomes the wide receiver coach in Tampa. So we it remains to be seen who else he might take with him. Um, I think more interesting to some people, though, would be, is he going to take any players with him? And we should probably talk about that for a second here. Yeah, I think that that's, that does stand out as a, a possibility here. I mean, we've seen this in the past, haven't we, where when when a uh, somebody front office personnel goes to a different place, they're going to look back to their old place and try to, to pluck and pull if they can. Um, I think the first thing that jumps out to me, I'm sure, as does for you on this one, is, okay, does, does Tampa try to make some kind of run here at Geno Smith? Ah, uh, boy. I mean – in order to make that happen, I think you got to clear about a hundred million dollars in cap space because they need sixty million just to get to even. Then you're probably looking at about fifteen million to pay Gino, and then you probably have to clear another, I'd say, twenty-five million so you can get other players to bring in. So getting Gino is worth it because Gino is not Tom Brady. You don't bring him in and think, okay, we're good now. We're just going to go win the Super Bowl because we got Gino Smith. No, you you got to then go out and say, okay, what are the other issues with this team? Let's go address those issues. You got to, like, if you look at Tampa Bay last year, yeah, I think Brady did play pretty bad, but they had other problems too that need to be addressed. So I looked at their books. Tampa Bay would have to probably restructure Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Vita Vey, um, uh, Shaquille Barrett, uh, j just about everybody making big base salary. And I just don't think you do that for Geno Smith. You don't go, okay, we're going to hamstring our team for the next couple of years with murderous amounts of dead cap and uh, pushed back cap for Geno Smith. So I don't think it's a realistic possibility right now, personally. I agree with you in that I don't think it's a necessarily a likelihood. I do think this is like where you keep the, the flame burning on an oven like they do in restaurants where it's always kind of slightly burning on the thing where... There is a part of me, though, that does look at this, Brendan, and does feel like I, I come back to again. I have kind of throughout the week when we had our last show on your channel talking about this, which was the, you know, just the musical chair item of it. And I think it puts I'm a very much a visual guy. So it puts the visual in my mind, really, of the the quarterback versus chairs that are very available there to sit. And then the the fallout from that, the fallout being, in my opinion, is that there's just too many chairs, not enough butts. And does that draw certain teams out into the open 
as far as kind of exposing their underbelly a little bit in order to try to be aggressive or a little more aggressive in that respect of things. And if you look at Tampa Bay and, and we, I agree with what you said on that, and then it's going to take all these moves, but you go, okay, you don't make that move. What, where do you go to get your quarterback now? I mean, hell, I was going through mock drafts sitting there recently as running the NFL mock going, is Tan, does Tampa Bay go McKee? Do they take McKee in the first round? Well, I think the interesting conversation to have would be, what if they go get Drew Locke? I guess that's that is a possibility, and that maybe is more probably feasible because he's not going to cost as much money to bring him in as uh, Geno Smith would be then at that point. Yeah, um, apparently Kyle Trask can't learn the playbook. That's the uh, hot take out there. So I think that one's kind of sunk before it even leaves the harbor. The Trask thing is ridiculous. It was a ridiculous. It was a pick they made at the time as a bonus pick, Brendan. It wasn't a guy. It was a guy completely over overdrafted quarterback. They were hoping on a wishing on a miracle that he could be something else than what he was. And you you turn on the tape for three minutes with him out there at Florida, remembering Brendan. He had like four NFL receivers to throw to. Right. <laughs> He's got like he is jacked to the nines with guys to toss to, and the guy still can't find an open pair of arms uh, uh, on a summer like day. Darius Tony. Um, who else? Uh, Pitts. Oh, wow. Pitts. Swain, oh, Swain was there for a while. Freddie Swain oh, yeah. was there for a while. And then there was one other guy on top of that that I'm, I'm, and it wasn't that he was a great pro, but he was a, he did become a pro. So it was like, you know, you, come on, man. What else do you need over there? You know, what, 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 what can we else possibly give you? Um, so I, I guess it is a long range on that. Drew Locke would probably make more sense. You don't have to give up the draft picks because if you are trading for Gino, you're probably giving up the second, maybe a third rounder in addition. With Drew, you just get to pull him in there for nothing at that point. And you can do the prove a deal until you get out from under the Brady situation. I think that's 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 feasible there. I think that's definitely feasible. Right. Uh, was there any other guys that you saw from your standpoint that, that could be in that range? I mean, would they go after a guy like a Rashad Penny? Would they go after a guy like a Travis Homer, who I think we're going to let go without much resistance? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's hard to say. It's hard, it's not like those guys are super desirable. But typically speaking, when a coach goes from one team to another, he does like to bring at least one or two guys. So I would expect there to be something there. I don't think we're going to be able to keep all of our free agents. So um, granted, Tampa Bay has a lot of work to do just to get under the cap. And um, apparently they've already said, although they could change their mind, they're not going to split the Brady cap hit. They're just going to take it all on this year, the $35 million dead to avoid year cap hit. They're just going to deal with it, basically. So Makes sense. If they were smart here, they probably would just kind of turn this up over and through a little bit. And that's lock kind of gives them a hedge point, right? Cause then they can turn everything over, kind of understand, okay, they're going to lose probably Levante. David's going to be out. Like you mentioned Shaq, they might lose a couple of big name guys, but then they just do the thing that you should do as a team, which is just turn it over I just commit to the turnover. But there is that draw for them, Brendan, to say, yeah, but this division is wide open and the conference is kind of somewhat wide open versus where it's been in recent years past. And that, that might that might pull them back into the forefront um, on that. But yeah, I think Penny's in there definitely for sure. Homer's a possibility. Um, I do wonder Penny's market with his injury history, though. That's the one thing that's the, the question him. Homer might be a little bit more because he's kind of specialized. But I, they're not going to be sold on Fournette long term. He certainly is on he's on the outs. They've got why he was pretty good for them. So if they brought in Homer, Homer or if they brought in Penny it would be for a backup to Rashad White. I think they feel pretty decent about yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you just look at Tampa Bay's books. It's such a mess. 
if there was ever a team that needed to take a year off, it's that team. It is. It's a problem the Saints had for years, right? Where they kept k- kicking the can forward and then the can kept getting bigger and bigger, you know, until it was the size of a house. And I don't, they still haven't really bought into an off season where we just need to bleed this out and take, take the beating here. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you, Carolina and Atlanta may, may benefit for both of these two teams this off season being both two teams that are like, okay, we just got to, we got to kind of eat at this off season. And now one of those two teams, if they decide to press forward and get aggressive, can really jump up and uh, take that division and without as much resistance or a lot less resistance than you're getting across the rest of the national football league. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. So anything else to say about Canales? No, I think, I think you covered it. It's going to be a loss. We're going to have to find, I don't know who Carol's got waiting in the wings, but hopefully with his large list of laundry list of coaches that he's had underneath them, there's somebody out there that you can find to bring in that can uh, bring the next guy along. So Certainly not going to be any former guys. Bevel's still, I think, isn't he at Jacksonville still? And is he? Sounds right. Yeah, I think. And I know and, he was. He might have moved on. Uh, Schottenheimer's in uh, Dallas, of course. So. He's the OC in Dallas now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that funny. I don't know why. I just it's. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, we got a donation here from Barry. Thank you so much, Barry, for the ten dollar donation. He says, "Is this finally a year the front office restructures contracts to free up major money?" Looks like they could free up enough to re-sign Gino and chase free agents. It's a great question. Great question. Yeah. Well, we actually don't have that many restructurable contracts this uh, offseason. Uh, we did our show last week where we actually went into it. It was basically Lockett, Disley, and then Diggs and Adams, which I don't think anybody would want to do. So you're basically talking about Lockett and Disley, between those two, you can restructure and free up like $9 million. So there isn't a ton you can do there. The real money is going to be in your releases, like Gabe Jackson, like Quentin Jefferson, like Al Wood, Shelby Harris. So I think we will do some restructuring, but it's not going to free up a ton of money this offseason. Agree with Brendan as we did cover in that one. Barry, we we there's not much there. Nine millions, I think, about the top mark. The the thing on release, I would say, in addition to release, is the trade aspect. So a guy like Disley or a guy like Fant, a guy like Shelby Harris would have probably some kind of value on the open market. I'm not saying you're getting a lot for them, but it just means you'll get something for them as opposed to just releasing for nothing if you decide to free up their cap space to then go after somebody else. It's a bit of a one-two on that one. Um, and, and so you're getting at that point, I think you're, you're sitting somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15 on the nine. So what bread of 24 million, a feasible workable extra cap space to clear up if you wanted to out. Cause I, and acknowledging, like you said, you could do theoretically a Jamal, you could do a quandary. We're not going to probably do that though. So under yeah. a feasible item of realistic deals that you could really re- remove through, those would be the ones that'd be the space, right? To about 24 million addition. If you really wanted to get you know, right. 20, yeah, that's yeah. about right. That's about right. And obviously what is reasonable and what's not reasonable is very subjective. I think that uh, moving on from Shelby Harris would be reasonable. Some people would disagree with that. I think that if you're going to stick with this three, four defense, moving on from Diggs would be reasonable. A lot of people would disagree with that. So it's subjective, of course, but then there are the slam dunks like um, Gabe Jackson, like yeah. uh, Quentin Jefferson, like Brian Monet, like Al Woods. So sure. Yeah. Agreed. So there's some flexibility here, Barry. I think the one other thing is the, the thing that we can't know about that, that we'll know after this process is played out 
is how much free money the Seahawks really have to spend at this point. Are they a year out from being sold? Is Jody Allen going to be pulling hard on the purse strings back in her direction to, to make sure that Schneider's not spending as much or more than he absolutely has to? That's the part that I think we don't know about um, uh, as far as the, the tactical approach from ownership. So they can, to a degree, Barry, they can be aggressive like you're talking about, but you know they've not given us any indication that that's going to be what they're going to intend to do. And especially having so many draft picks as they do, I think their inclination is going to already be just to lean into the organic building kind of approach of the team rather than really going hard out in free agency. Thank you though, Barry, for the $10 donation. Appreciate you as ever, my guy. Uh, All pro Seahawks with a $2 donation says, would you give up a first round pick for Deron Payne? Well, well, let's toss out first out the gate, Brendan here. Um, Number five's out the door. We're not doing that one. Right. So uh, that's, that's where there's no, that's a no go, but Brendan, let him, um, and let me turn something off real quick. Let him know if you do the 20th overall selection. Let me right back. My first inclination was no, but after having a chance to think about it, I'm not completely against it. I think that there is a little bit of concern about giving up a bunch of draft capital for a guy and then immediately having to pay him. But when I look at how the fact that he's relatively young, when I look at the fact that he's a two-way player and that he's a great pass rusher and a great run defender, I, I think it would probably work, especially in this draft, because I'm definitely starting to feel like that area of the draft is not a great spot to be. So I, I would be okay with it. Yeah. You touched on, I think the real fine point on this one, Brendan, which is that it, it, it's it, this year with what you're doing in the 20th pick of this draft, let's let, let's say nothing of the fact our Seahawks have kind of, you know, what was the, uh, the worm beast in star Wars that ate people up? Like that's, that's been Arlac. like, yeah, that's been our 20th. When we pick in the 20th of the first round, that's what happens to our Seahawks. We go like Boba Fett right into the, right into the belly of the beast. It seems like, but Beyond that, that's in decent year drafts. That's in like solid draft, you know, strength throughout the course of a first round. This is a weak draft. Like Brendan just said, that's the the big part of this one. And I, I would usually be precluded from making a move like this for Duran because of the fact I'm trading and I got to spend the money. But he is still 25, right? 25 and a half or something. He's the 20th person you're going to get the 20th pick. People talk about Bijan Robinson. I think he's long gone. I think when people look at who's really going to be available there at 20, a lot of people are going to kind of, it's going to draw a lot of people into going, let's just take John Schmitz and call it a day. That's what's going to end up happening from a lot of people's perspective. When we arrive at 20 with the guy that is, that we're going to be sitting there looking at. So I'm willing to do it. I think from that aspect of things, I just think it's, it's, it's probably the cost for a guy that's, that's this good or somewhere near that range. I do it very hesitantly, but I think I'm at least amenable to it. Yeah, and and I would do it. And I, honestly, if this was last year's first round with the 20th pick, I probably wouldn't do it. If it was and most years, I probably wouldn't. But that's the kind of thing. If I'm on, Brendan, if I'm on the ledge already, that's the thing that kicks me over the other side of the ledge that makes me onto the other side. Is that well, I just don't trust this draft's talent level. And and it's great to have that 20th pick, but boy, it's just not my typical 20th pick. And again, I already know my team doesn't necessarily knock it out of the park when they're picking in the 20 range in recent given history. Thank you. All pro Seahawks. You're awesome for the $2 donation, man. Thank you so much. Garth Knight with the $5 dono. Appreciate you as well. Garth says, I uh, hope you're doing well tonight. Says Pete Carroll will hire Stan Gable from Revenge of the Nerds to be the new quarterback coach. And while out of the box, I think it's a good hire. Yeah, um, I have not seen that movie, so I don't understand the reference, but I'm sure it was good. <laughs> I remember I remember Revenge of the Nerds, so I definitely remember that movie, but I can't remember Stan Gable. I always just think about there's a character named, I think, Booger in the movie. 
or something. And he's just, he was the guy that played like the, the bully in every eighties, every eighties role, the bully with the, you know, he went to the bearded guy, crazy yeah. eyes, but uh, <laughs> sounds good. Garth. I'm sure he's got somebody he's going to pull out. That's going to be a name. We're going to recognize whoever Carol grabs. I don't think he's going to probably, we're going to go who, who's that. I bet he's got somebody that's sitting there. He's like, Hey, come over here and, you know, especially if uh, I'll tell you this, Brendan, there might be something to read into whoever, if he does get a really nice hire of somebody's bringing in where it's like, Hey, you're going to get a chance to, to bring up a young quarterback. You know, you're going to really be able to get to grow your resume because we're, we're intending to draft a quarterback here. So, you know, come in here and get ready to kind of shine, get your shine on, look really good. If you, uh, if you can take this young QB up. Yeah. And logically, whoever you hire, you got to do it before the draft, right? You absolutely have to. Yeah, this is. I would think this would come down within the next couple of weeks. Carol would have this decided. I wouldn't think that they would leave it open. So there's a, maybe a chance it comes in house. Um, they have done that before, but uh, I would expect that there is something a little bit maybe to re- glean from the hire of it, depending on which way they go. If it is kind of a name that that it, if we get somebody that's a name, Brendan, somebody that's maybe not just normally naturally connected to Carol, that would and that would tell me that there's a good likelihood we're going to be taking a quarterback and taking a quarterback early. If it's an in-house hire or if it's kind of a reach ready kind of thing, then that, that to me does maybe not exactly that doesn't mean it precludes it, but just, you know, I just a little, little prediction on that one. Thank you though, Garth, uh, for the donation, man. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Selector seven has become a member of the YouTube channel and you can become a member of the YouTube channel. Now I'm just getting ready to drop my bread and my draft guide. I got about, I have about 30,000 words on this draft upcoming nice. so that's that's about to draft over that's just about to drop on my membership uh angle of things over there so thank you member inspector seven for becoming a member and be on the lookout for that as that will be on the way shortly uh were you gonna nice. say something sorry no no uh thank you though appreciate you inspector seven um Okay, so uh, we had a, a couple other just small little internal moves, Brendan. I don't think there's a lot to pick from on this. We'll just cover them really quickly. We had some in-house changes as well. I don't know any of these people though. Matt Berry, do you, Aaron Heinlein, Willie Schneider, Nolan Tesla, Teasley. Yeah, I do not know them by name. I do not. But um, I, right now, I have to say I kind of like our scouting department after the draft we just had. So I'd say if they get promoted, they probably deserve it. That's great. That's exactly like if these guys have any hand in what happened last year, then, you know, golf clap. It's great. But uh, Nolan Teasley is now in the assistant general manager. Matt Barry is now senior director of player personnel. Aaron Heinlein is now director of college scouting and Willie Schneider. I wonder if he's related to Mr. Schneider is now director of pro personnel. Um, we also had just before we get to our free agents, one last bit of news, Brendan, um, I'm going to call him the chaps chapstick king because boy he's got some dry lips and that would be the new hire the cardinals actually decided to hire a coach before the draft i'm 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 stunned color me shocked they found somebody who'd take the job who did yeah. they who did they pick up here brendan uh jonathan gannon dc of the philadelphia eagles uh prior to that he was the defensive back coach in indianapolis for three years um Kind of an interesting hire because he's not just a janitor. He's not a Jim Tom Sula. He is somebody who is probably going to outlast Kyler Murray in Arizona at this rate. You don't bring him in just to immediately kick him out after the season. You gave him, I think, a five or six year deal. So that's probably not the case. So they found what they believe to be their guy. So this is kind of interesting, right? 
Very interesting hire going defense, especially a little bit of a trend uh, this offseason. It feels like with some of the coaching hires going defense like Houston did. And and this is, again, kind of anti what you would think teams would be leaning towards would be more offensive driven because of the fact that those teams be the teams in the playoffs every year is more often than not. They're driven by offensive centric right. teams. But yeah, I think that this was an understanding from the Cardinals aspect, Brenda, that they are in a bit of a bind with Kyler's contract. They're not in a situation that people want to come to and pick up and and deal with. Uh, almost in a lot of ways worse than Denver because at least Denver's got the Walmart money behind them and they've got the, I think a little bit more of an establishment with their franchise than uh, Arizona does down there in Arizona, just as far as getting it just kind of into the community as, as well as they are. So, I mean, it's, I, I guess you lot it somewhat. I, you also wonder with him, boy, watching him through the playoffs, I didn't think he did anything special as far as his DCing goes. Um, you know, he got, he got the opportunity to, benefit from that 49er injury at the in the playoff and uh, they didn't have the toughest road schedule wise this year and then he had Fangio Brendan hold his hand through the back half of the year because they brought brought in Fick Fangio there with the Eagles to be a consultant at the end of the season so you know what do you make of that a little bit with I mean what do you make of that by the way like you bring I mean it's just all hands on deck an extra hand can't hurt it's like bringing Scott McClellan into the general managership to help out with Schneider you know it's like that's the equivalent or is do you look at that as the Eagles didn't quite trust their their defense? Oh man, that's that's tough because their defense was good, right? They had one of the greatest mm-hmm. pass rushes I'd say in NFL history. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to tell, but a lot of Eagles fans are happy to see him go. So it it seems like it's probably just a bad hire. Yeah. I mean that well, and that's what I wor- think about with this is that you the Eagles. It, I look at defense, and yes, it was a good defense. Yes, they did a great job with pass rush, but it's Hassan Reddick and Robert Quinn and Nadavikan Sue and Brandon Graham and Jordan Davis and uh, Hard Fletcher Cox and Hardgrave. Uh, you know, like it's it's just you got an assembly of guys coming in there, and it's, as I've always thought about and wanted for our Hawks, Brandon, that's the line I I like to kind of build for our Hawks. It's not really about building the star front that just got just every guys that just getting some depth and some guys on the solid line you can be kind of dominating with that approach of things but we'll see we'll learn very quickly with this guy he's got an uphill road to go with kyler man because uh that's not going to be any any easy answers there on how to fix him going forward and he's a defensive-minded coach so it's not like he's going to have a lot of you know interesting wrinkles maybe they do the the, uh, rams thing brendan where they bring in some specialist offensive guy and they're just like you worry about the defense and the team and then this guy just runs the offense the inverse yeah. of the McVeigh kind of. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah, you never know. But it seems like a bad hire to me, which they can probably only make bad hires right now with the situation that they're in. That's why you have to be careful when you spend the big money, Brendan, because it has ripples. And the ripples are not just simply when you do it on a quarterback who might be a smaller quarterback who could end up injured because he's a little bit less lighter or you're giving money to a quarterback who hasn't quite earned it. Is now not only do you have to overcome what's going on in that position, now not only right out the gate next year do you have to find a quarterback for the first half of your season, but then now you have to also find a coach that's willing to take this stuff on. And now that lessens you down as far as your team in total, right? Because they couldn't, Brendan, if they just didn't have a Kyler there, do they get a better candidate than this guy? Um, I, I got to believe they would get somebody a little more appealing than this. Like maybe they get a Shane Steichen instead of Indy. Right. If Shane Steichen believes he's getting a clean slate, I mean, it's probably better, honestly, and I'm this is subjective. I'd probably rather be in Arizona than working under uh, Jim Irsay over there in Indianapolis, the most incompetent owner in sports. Agreed. So, yeah. I think I'd even Peyton, so. even Peyton would be a little more in play. 
I don't think they didn't, I don't necessarily guarantee to get him to get him. And maybe Walmart's money would be enough to, they could go 5 million past whatever the cards were offering per year to Peyton. But even that would have been more in play. So you got to be careful when you sign these quarterbacks to the big money, Brennan. It's just, it, it is fraught with uh, ruin in it on a lot of different levels. And thankfully we're going to benefit from that, Brendan. And as I always say, we need to have some feast factor. If you want to end up winning division, you want to go on that run. You want that first round by, you want that pathway to the Super Bowl like the Eagles just had. You got to have some feast factor within your own division. You got to have, not everybody's got to be a freaking dog. Like some people go iron versus iron, right? Like iron sharpens iron. Like, no, iron bends the other side of the iron, which bends back the other iron. And you're, you're, you're beat up a little bit by the end of the year. If everybody's like that. So it helps, man. Uh, Kevin Lonice with a $10 donation. Thank you, Kevin. Says, my dream offseason, Carter at five, AR at 20, tag and trade Gino to Washington if they tag and trade Payne. Resign, lock. Ooh, what do you think about that? A lot Brandon? of people would like this. Yeah. I mean, if you could actually get Gino for um, Payne, I mean, that that's really good. And Washington might do it. They need a quarterback in the worst way. It's a it's a very straightforward trade that could make a lot of sense for both sides. Like we we need this, we need that. It it offsets it. We're talking about a first round pick here for paying at twenty. Um, you know, with Gino maybe getting a second, third. That I think as far as what he'd pull at the most, that's kind of fairly equivalent at that point. So I I mean it's I could see it being feasible too. Um, I I'm great with it, uh, Kevin. I love it. Um, I do think Carter is going to be there at five. I maintain that I think three quarterbacks were taken in the first you know four picks. But I also still do believe as well that Richardson probably goes top 10 in this draft. And uh, if he drafts to 20, that'd be great. I'm all over it, Kevin. I will be, but I would be very surprised if he lasts all the way out there to 20. Mm -hmm. I think he probably should, but he won't. He should. The problem comes into it's not with AR is that it's not as much just informed by the fact of his talent or where he is as a player, right? It's about the drop-off from him to the next quarterback once you leave Anthony Richardson because then it's – all the way down to McKee, you know, it's up here. It's like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Levis, and then Richardson, and then all the way down to McKee. So uh, that's the, God, I'm thinking, I mean, Hooker might be more desirable than McKee. Just he's heard. I still might rather have Hooker than McKee. I I might, for some reason, I'm getting the impression the NFL is really in kind of having a little bit of a, I don't know why, but they're, they're kind of in on McKee a little bit. I, I, I'm not with it. I watched the Washington tape, the Washington game. You watched it, no doubt. Yeah. Holy Lord. I was watching that the other night for some, it was, I was watching it for the Stanford receiver and he had a good game in the game, but McKee looked God awful. Like he looks, yeah, he's got a nice arm, but that's it. He does. But man, he just looked, he was deer in the headlights in that game against UW where he's mm-hmm. just everything at the pocket, everything's spastic. None, nothing's under really any kind of control and he can't move for the life of him. But I I'm getting the impression that w- w- for whatever reason, the NFL has got like a, a, again, the arm, I think is what you talked about. That's the thing that they're going to look at. And they're going to go, well, the arms upper level. So that that'll, that'll drive us to do it. But you talk about AR to him, to me, that's, that's a drop and that's going to drive scarcity, which is going to drive teams to overpick certain guys. And again, especially in a draft like this, because it's so weak because it's so left wanting as far as talent goes. But Kevin, sign me up for your offseason. I think Brennan would say sign him up for that if you pressed it. He, he likes that too. So uh, I think even Kevin's situation wasn't necessarily saying we trade for Payne with that, just you trade to Gina to Washington if they tag and trade Payne off somewhere else. So either way on that, I would uh, I would be probably a go with that, Kevin. I'd be okay with that. 
I still agree. keep still keep your first, still keep your five, Brendan, and you get pain. That's not a bad way to go. Yeah. It's not not too shabby. Not too shabby. Thank you, though, Kevin, for the $10 donation, brother. Uh, Hang Wu Lee with the $2 donation. Appreciate you as well. Hang Wu says, how much will Nick Bosa extension be? $40 million a year. Holy loaded. Uh, what do you think he's going to end up number-wise? So wait, let's see. We're at, who was the last guy that signed a deal, Brennan? Was it? Uh, it was TJ Watt or Max Crosby, but Max Crosby not, is not upper level. So I think was we're thinking of... 29 for Watt, something like that? Uh, it was 28. So 28. Um, they've waited an extra year on Bosa, right? So, yeah. you know, you've waited the extra year to pay him. I've maintained that I think that the, the point that sounds right is about 32. His brother... Yep kind of reset the whole market to 27 and a half back in the day when it was at like 23 and a half, right? Remember it was at Demarcus Lawrence and Clark were there. And then right. the Joey Bosa went 30, 27 and a half. And everybody's like, Holy Lord. So whew, 32 and a half, Brendan. Yeah. I think that's probably about right. That's what I was going to say. 32. And the Niners have uh 25 free agents and some fairly key ones at that, including like Mike McGlinchey their right tackle that they've got to figure out how to fit in the cap too. You know, they're, they've got some cap space. I'm sure they can work a little bit, but that you pay a pass rush for 32. Is there any pet? Would you, would you I, hold on? This is a good question. Would, would you pay? Let's just not say about trading Nick Bosa. Would you pay Nick Bosa 32 and a half million on average on a new deal? I, I guess you kind of have to, but man, I, I mean, he just won defensive player of the year. He's clearly one of the very elite edge rushers out there and cap's only going to keep going up. The Amazon money's going to kick in. It's probably fine, but I mean, he's already had the one ACL injury or is it two? I thought he had one back maybe in college. I thought he's had one in the pro, but I thought he had had something going on. There was some injury with college too. 30, 32 and a half, Brendan. Well, how much is the tag going to be for an edge rusher? Maybe you tag him and then play hardball. You can't do it. You waited the year. That's the problem. You can pull that off on year one off the third year spot, right? Mm-hmm. So third year, they prove it. You go, okay, we're ta- we're, we're going to do this. But you're he's he's like four years in now, right? So he's – that's – because you're going, you're going in and now starting to go into like bottom of the top level quarterback play, pay when you're at 32 and a half. Even yeah. with where the numbers were, because I was looking at this last week for the Geno deal at, at like 40, Geno would be top seven in the league. And mm-hmm. so, boy, that to me, I, I know he's defensive player of the year and all that, but to me, 32 and a half, if I'm the team having to face Pam on that, I think I'd almost go look to see if I can get the multiple first round picks then pay that mark. Because that's what that's team a lot. is going to give up multiple first round picks and then pay him, though. They'd be lining up for Nick Bosa, lining you think so? up. Off of a defensive player of the year, year, yeah. Some teams would be hesitant, like you're saying for the ACLs, but then there would be a, there would be at least ten that would be lining up saying we'll bring him in, we'll we'll pair him with you know they'll get it in yeah. their own mind and they can pair with maybe one other guy they got and then they'll roll. But I yeah. I would be scared with that ACL history, that kind of money. I I I would be very very hesitant to ever go that high on a, on an edge rusher. He better be Reggie White reborn to be paying 32, 32 million. But it's a great question, Angwu. He's going to ask for a lot. Don't no discounts. I guarantee you that. He he bet on himself. He bet on himself now, and he's playing out to a defensive player of the year. That does not equate to a discount for the team, no matter what. Right. But can you see them, Brendan? Can you really see them playing hardball with him after that? 
after him having a year like that, now they're going, well, we don't really want to go to that high of a price. Yeah, we waited that year, but we're going to just, we'll just do this out. I mean, I mean that's, you know, yeah, that's the franchise tag. Like, uh, that's what the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott, remember? They were like, you're just going to play on the tag then. And then they paid him a year again, anyway, a year later anyway, so it didn't matter. But you could do that. I think we both kind of expect the Bengals are going to eventually do that with uh, Joe Burrow, right? Because Burrow could ask for sixty million, but I don't think he's going to get it from the Bengals. This will be the this will be the test of Bengals ownership at this point. Are they going to are, are they re- going to really have the stones to not pay Burrow really who's where he is and what he's done with that team and the hell you put him behind with that offensive line and how you've gotten him beaten to beat to crap and you're not going to pay him like I they, I think they pay Burrow. I think Burrow gets yeah. his fifty five sixty. Do they go that high? Yeah. Do they end up saying like, look, we can just tag you over and over and over again, uh, take 50? Like, do they play that game? I think that they would be more likely the Bengals organization at that point to move Burrow and just get a King's ransom of Burrow and pick back at that point if they really thought that was the the way to go with it. And I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I think they recognize that he has been that guy for them. He is that – he is that – Next quarterback, he's that guy with Mahomes that are the one-two guys right now in this sport. I mean, Allen's coming back down to earth. Herbert's still unrealized in his potential. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's – this guy's it. I, I think if he was – if Brendan, if he was more in that like five, six, seven range, I think the Bengals' ownership could kind of be like, well, I mean, he's good, but, you know, we're not wanting to pay that much. But when you, you're up at that top mark, it's like kind of undeniable at that point to turn back around and go, okay, well, we have to – we got to pay the popper on this one. He's too good not to. We would be laughed at for okay. generations if we didn't. All right. Uh, Wu, thank you for the donation, though. Appreciate you. Uh, Garth Knight with the $5 dono says, what can we get for Jamal Adams in a trade? If we get a Bowflex and one of those Chuck Norris endorsed machines, let's take it. I hear those Chuck Norris machines yeah. were good back in the day. Yeah. Uh, some people are you know, asking about trading Jamal Adams. Nobody's going to trade for that contract. Like uh, that's That's not happening. No point in even really discussing it. Either you keep him or you release him. I can't imagine a team even giving up like a seventh round pick because then you inherit the contract. There's just no way. Agreed 100% with Brendan here. Unfortunately, Garth, I'd, I'd love to go to a couple different angles with this one, but it's a really clear, vicious angle down the middle. And you're either going to release him or you're going to hold on to him and, and hope you can salvage some of the value of this situation with him. But there's going to be a team that's going to trade for him in the shape he's in. I mean, hell, I've seen a couple of his Instagram shots with him just barely like walking on the treadmill right now. Like, I don't know how ready he's even going to be for training camp much less to go to a team and pass a physical or anything of that other kind of sort. So even a Bowflex and uh, the Chuck Norris machine, Garth, is still probably too high a cost at this point. Teams aren't even giving you that. So mm-hmm. you just we're stuck. We got to unless they're going to do the post June first, Brendan. Right? We got to just wait yeah. on that. And and uh, Garth, thank you for the donation. But we're just going to have to see if they're going to do the post June first. That's going to tell us how much faith they have in him in the future of getting back up onto his feet. But that's the only way he goes, and it would be a release at that point, not mm-hmm. a trade. Right. Thank you, Garth, uh, for the donation, though. I really do appreciate it. And everybody for the donos today on the chat. Uh, we're going to look forward now here to the main flow of this, which is going to be the free agents that we've got upcoming here in this uh, in this period. And I'm just going to kind of go through a few of these here with Brendan as we kind of discuss these guys. Brendan and I went pretty deep into the main free agent that's off the board here that leans off the board, um, which is going to be... Um, 
She's jumping, uh, which is going to be Geno Smith. So if you folks are looking for an in-depth breakdown of, of me and Brendan going back and forth on Geno and really getting into the depth of it, go over to Gino, uh, Brendan's channel. We had a, about a two-hour discussion just about on it. I did another video this past week regarding Geno and his cost and whatnot. So we won't go too far into this, um, Brendan. I think both you and I are in the same boat that we want to see re Gino resign, but it is also for kind of a certain price. Has your mind moved anywhere? I know it's only been a week, but we, we, you kind of broke it for me last week a little bit and kind of, I wasn't as aware of the numbers being as solidified as I was in, and then doing some research onto it about him turning down the 30 million and then maybe his camps wanting kind of maybe 40 million what we're hearing. Do you have any changes in your mindset on it a week later or do you just kind of still feel like it, you are where you are with it and it is what it is with it? Well, uh, the problem is the rumor is Daniel Jones is going to get like 37 million. And there is no way that you can argue that Daniel Jones should get paid more than Geno Smith right now. There's just no way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the problem is if Daniel Jones solidifies his deal in the next couple of weeks, which is possible, then Geno Smith is going to look at that and realize, wait a minute, because a couple of weeks ago, Rappaport said, I think Geno's deal is going to be around 32 million a year. But if Daniel Jones gets 37, then I think Geno's probably going to reconsider that. So as that price tag starts to move up and we start thinking about, you know, 40 million, 42 million, then I'm more like, okay, let's uh, explore the tag and trade possibilities because there are teams that are going to be on board with that. They're going to be teams like Washington, teams like the Jets, maybe Tampa, if they can get out from their cap hell, which I don't think they can, but if they could, they would be interested. Um, probably a few other teams as well. Maybe the Raiders, maybe a team like that. Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Um, honestly, every team of the NFC South. <laughs> yes, agreed. Now that I think about it. Um, so it really just depends on where the money is. I'm not going to grandstand over if it gets to like 32 or 33 million. I don't really care about that that much. But as we start pushing up to 40, then it starts to get to the point where it's like, okay, this is not a mid-level QB contract anymore. This is starting to push up to the upper level and i just don't see it uh, that being good no i don't either i'm and, and maybe i've become a little bit obsessed from it my standpoint of things but i just come back to again the, the the roster building and the way that you divvy up that cap and how finite the space is and there's only so many ways to cut the pie and if a big slice of that pie is going to you know uncle gino and you're looking at the rest and you got to put all the rest together and you've got so many holes to fill as this team does as we're not looking at just a quarterback coming in like Brady did with Tampa Bay as that final little, you know, last spot to click in. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm driven to go. That's, that's a place where I can't go that high with it. And I, Gino deserves it. If that's the market rate is the market rate. But like you just said too, you're talking 40 million as I did the research, like last year, you know, or as it stands right now, not last year. And by the way, this is actually, he would be higher than this from last year because Derek Carr has been released. But Derek Carr was sitting there at number seven last year. Gino would be right there at forty million on average per year, measured up against all the rest of the quarterbacks in the sport. So you know, is that is that worth it? What about the history of quarterbacks struggling there? Again, we dove into this uh, a ton last week, so we won't rehash it here, Brendan. But um, it'll be interesting to see how this turns. As I think you would agree, we're going to get some probably resolution here on this understanding of which way it'll go. In, in I would say the next couple of weeks, probably fairly decently before free agency, because whoever trades for him is then going to want to set the stage for him. Right. Well, the uh, the franchise tag window opens in a few days here, less than a week, and then it'll close a few weeks after that. So we'll probably know by the end of the franchise tag period. 
I think that they put a quick franchise tag on him. I do right. um, with this. And then he doesn't sign it is what will, what will definitely happen. Cause there's no, right. it, Gino would be an idiot to sign it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he'll, that'll, that'll be all plays out. They will do that. But yeah, I think that there's going to be something coming down with this and it, we both like the sun and I'm just, it's got to be at a, at a rate that makes some kind of sense as far as that mid tier deal. And if it's at the upper tier, that's not a mid tier deal. That's upper tier. And we're getting closer to that mark with some of these funny numbers. We're talking about here, Brendan. Um, let's go with some of the next guys here on the list. And one that I think is going to be a quick one for you to kind of establish on here. Apuna four, uh, 27 years old, made the change to three tech a couple of years ago from one tech now made a change to more of a three, four defensive end this year. Didn't have the very good year overall. Um, I think it's like 55 PFF grade. What, uh, where are you at with Puna? Well, if we were going back to the four three under the old Carroll defense, mm-hmm. I'd probably be willing to give him like seven or eight million a year. I think he's really good in that role, and it would be just a small uptick from what he was getting on the previous contract he signed a couple years ago. Uh, I think that year contract was like two years, twelve million. So I would probably give him like two years, fourteen million if we were going back to the four three under. But that doesn't seem like that's going to happen because, and this is another thing. That's kind of interesting going on right now. It seems like Sean Desai flunked his uh, interview in Denver. Yeah. So if, yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. Cause like, it's great that he's going to stay, but if he's flunking interviews, how good is he actually? Like, uh, I don't know. He's had a couple of them now, you know what I mean? And and there's not exactly been a, been a, you know, huge ton of great defensive coordinators out there on the open market this off season. All right. So that being the case, I um I can't really figure out any price to bring Puna Ford back on. Even like veteran minimum is like, why? Just give the snaps to somebody else. Yeah, I agree with what you said on it. Uh, like you, I considered a little bit of what, what about the value of bringing back in a 4-3 structure of things. I, I definitely find myself still really enamored by the thought process of changing back more to a 4-3 defense this offseason. But I, I do find myself also saying even at that point, Brendan, to no. Because when you did go to pay him last time, you were making you're paying him for the transition he was going to make to to being a three tech defensive tackle. And the problem is is that he wasn't a very good three tech defensive tackle. And now, as I watched last season, especially when I watched the all twenty two tape, the thing that stood out to me that was was at times very surprising, and I didn't have a lot of um, explanation for it. And that was Puna Ford no longer able to hold up against double teams. He used to, and that's what a one tech does is he jumps up into those double team blocks. That's how your alignment is more often than not. And you've got to hold your ground. You don't get penetration, but you got to hold your ground, Brendan, right? And so many times, a lot of our run game struggles last year came over the top of Puna's side, him getting doubled and not just, you know, slightly pushed back, but completely blown out of the hole. And so I wonder if he maybe doesn't have as much of that one tech stuff in his bag as much as he once did. Oh, you're muted. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Uh, did, by the way, did you see Spotrack's, uh, contract projection for him? No. What do they have? Uh, three years, 27 million. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> someone's going to have to explain that one to me. He just had the worst year of his career, including his rookie year. The projection thing seems like they put it into some AI thing. That's like not an AI thing, but just like a, you know, it's got some self formulas built in. That's like mm-hmm. player a this age to that he's 27. So he's in his prime. So he should be adverse really looking at where his performance levels been. So I think it's almost kind of an automated sort of stat that that, that projection stuff that they post out, but I'm, 
I'm kind of completely okay with walking on that. There was one quick question I did want to ask you about the, that I, at the top of this that we should think about just a little bit before looking at these other free agents too and signing them. Do you want to play any of the compensatory game this year? I don't think I force it. I think that if it happens, great. But looking at our list of free agents, I don't see a lot of them securing significant deals. You've got Gino. I think Puna Ford could get a significant deal from the right team. But mm. other than that, I've got a lot of guys who might easily end up with like two million bucks or less. It's true. It's a little bit hard to predict in that respect. I'll tell you if, if that projection stuff's right, there's some team giving a three year twenty seven to to Puna. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll take the I'll take the fifth round. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh PFF projected two years twelve, which I think actually kind of makes sense. And honestly, if we were going back to a four three um in the modern nfl two years 12 million is not that much for even a decent one tech so i would at least be open to that but uh i don't know where three years 27 came from yeah i mean i could get a little bit but i also look at like you know al woods and what you spent on him the last two years has been less than 12 million and he's given you significant better play um you know and wood in that one tech role versus puna maybe not playing the amount of snaps puna could play but you know puna's not playing if he's playing subpar snaps then you know, what is the value? And again, does he doesn't give you really anything as a pass rusher? You know, he's going to, he'll, he'll get a couple of those like, you know, cleanup sacks a year, like two or three, maybe, but, and he's not that great of a run stuff anymore. I, boy, I'm, I'm hesitant on him kind of at all, even if the changeover, I just think he's backtracked a little bit and maybe he's gotten a little too light to do the three tech stuff, you know, and lost a little bit of some of that ability to kind of just hunker down and hold, but that was the bread and butter of his game. Yeah. Um, Got a little donation here, a big donation actually from Randall McDaniel coming in hot with a $20 donation. Randall McDaniel, I really do appreciate the 20. Hope you're doing well out there tonight, my man. He says, uh, jumping on, so apologize if you covered it. You think Canelli's going to Tampa move the needle for Gino leaving? Congrats on the 11,000 subscribers. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate everybody out there for jumping aboard and getting us over that mark. We just crossed over the 11,000 marker here, so it feels good, and I appreciate everybody helping me on that. Um, we were talking about that. Uh, Brendan, Brendan kind of shot me down on a little Randall. He was, he was, he's not, he's not liking where Tampa Bay's cap situation is at. Yeah. At they would have to do so much work and like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is not, you know, it's not Tom Brady. It's not Peyton Manning. It's not Johnny Unitas. It's Geno Smith. I don't think he's worth all the effort it would take to get your cap underneath. Like they're going to have to do so much work just to like get under the cap period. And then you have to get under the cap another 30 40 million probably to make that feasible no yeah you have to ask your yes i think the only way they would do that kind of move randall to believe that is number one canelo is coming in there and being able to sway the, the room in a big way and loving gino number one but then number two that they believe in themselves as a team to be super bowl ready that not merely gino is going to help to get them and be established as a division for, front runner but because of all the sacrifices they're going to have to make from a cap standpoint into the future then they are going for it now. They're in that go for it mode. And and can Tampa really look at their roster, especially understanding they're going to have to take some pain and suffer some losses this offseason, even, not even just to accommodate Geno, just to get under the cap. That's where it probably for me doesn't, I think Brendan's point on this is a, a nap one and the right one here, Randall, where it's, it's probably more likely a lock. Like he's, he was saying earlier on this, Randall, was that lock is probably the more likely guy that they try to pluck because they're going to need a low cost, low cost item down there 
to to kind of carry the day for a year while they try to wash this all out. And from Locke's standpoint, that'd be a pretty, you know, not a bad spot for him, Brennan. He's got Donovan Smith on one side. He's got Tristan Wirfs over on the other. He gets Ryan Jensen back next year. That's three-fifths of a pretty good offensive line if they can bring somebody else in there. So wouldn't be the worst situation for uh yeah and it'd be the one team where he's guaranteed the starting job right he wouldn't even have to compete for it really 100 100 he'd have a clear clear pathway to the starting job a good opportunity so uh that's probably more the likelihood here randall i think is is lock would be the the one that canales might be going hey we can do we can redo the geno thing here with with lock here so <laughs> we'll see where it goes but thank you for the 20 dollar donation man i really do appreciate you you're awesome brother but you're always awesome Chad Hart with a $5 donation says the Hawks are about seven players from being a Super Bowl contender. One more thing. What is the difference with a three, four defense and a four, three defense? Uh, So you take the first one. I'll take kind of the second one. I'll react. We'll react off both with it. Um, Well, the first one, I mean, I think they would have to be seven really good players, but sure. Um, There are some, uh, and again, it depends on, are you counting guys like Gino? Is Gino part of that? Or are you moving off of him? But um, I don't think it's that unrealistic to say. Um, we need to improve the interior offensive line. We, I think we need some depth in the receiver room, but that might not be included because we don't need stars there. Um, it feels like, though, all the work you have to do on that front seven, like, like it might be a Pretty little bit legitimate. more than seven. You need yeah. at least three off the front seven and you need two off the offensive line. That'd be five. I think two middle linebackers is seven right there. So yes, from those, if you're just talking those pure seven, Chad, yeah. Like Brendan said, wide receiver is going to come up as more of a need. Uh, we need another running back here in tow. Um, you know, but, but yeah, it's, it's seven's a pretty close number at the end of the day, but th- I, yeah, that's, that's putting three, Brendan, that's putting three to the, to the, um, defensive line at that point if you if you injected in three new cats onto that line it might even take four though <laughs> let's be real we might need yeah. even four four on the on that line in that front seven but yeah you, i would I, be amazed if we needed to remake that whole line yeah i everybody could be on their way of kind of having to move out here um this particular off season in that respective things so um you're you're pretty close to that mark i think that's that's just about right on there chad um what is the difference with the three four defense and four three defense it's the main difference is, of course, just the amount of men you have on the line of scrimmage versus how many linebackers you have on the field. I mean, that's the main, you know, key difference. If you're talking about getting into the philosophy differences between the two, um, one is more to be, I think, built to sort of stop the pass. The other was sort of being more built to stop the run at its base, being the the four three defense. Um, the three four defense is the one that tends to be more blitz heavy and exotic, and you can do more things from where coaches can have more control and their hands in on it. The four three defense is one that tends to be more um, boring and okay, kitty, come on for the love of God, cat. Um, yeah. Can be just she's not giving up. Um, can just be more just in that realm of things. So it's it's it. Those are the main kind of differences between, but you can run the same kind of defenses from one to the other. We went from last year, two years ago, a four three under defense to now a three, four under defense this past season. So those concepts, the coverage concepts can all stay the same, but it's the front seven, of course, that's the main. Yeah, difference. I think it was more of a two, four, five defense, honestly, but uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, with the alignment, cause we went a little bit more with the linebackers, on the outside, but yeah, that was, that was our awkward way of doing it, but thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. I hope that's a good explanation on that four, three there. Uh, 
D-Boy in the house. D-Boy, it's been, been a long time, man. Hope you're doing well. It's good to see you. He says, uh, saying hi, been a minute. Work's killing me. Sending love. Hey, love right back, man. And it is good to see. He always brings a smile to my face to see D-Boy in the chat. Mm -hmm. One of my original folks out there. One of my, I think my original mods out there, Brendan. So don't let the work kill you too much, man. All work and no play makes uh, D-Boy, uh, you know, dull. You got to gotta go out there and enjoy yourself sometimes. So don't, don't, let him, don't let him grind you out, man. It's too too short a life on that but thank you man appreciate the donation and uh, it's great to see you hope you're doing well all right let's continue on uh down through this list thank you to everybody for the donations in the chat you guys are all awesome as you ever are next guy on the list is one that i'm very who might be one of the more interested guys for me brendan outside of geno smith as far as guys i really am kind of enamored with wanting to bring back i want to see your thoughts though on this give me what you think about one rashad penny um well after the year he just had where he was very efficient again, but he got hurt in game number five, I can't imagine he's going to cost more than what he got last year. In fact, I think he'll probably cost a good amount less. Mm -hmm. So therefore, given the fact that you're going to be able to pay him an amount of money that makes him, how should I put this, uh, worth it, even if he only gives you like eight or nine games, like, if he gives you eight or nine really good games and then maybe gets hurt, and hopefully he's there at the end of the season, you know, for the playoff run or whatever, but however he gives it to you, you can still be like, okay, we got our money's worth. I'm saying, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I I, I can't add many more thoughts to what you just said with it. You went $5.75 million on a one-year deal last year, and he was coming off a year where he was healthy at the end of the year. Healthy mm -hmm. and having a phenomenal end to the season. This year, it's going to probably be, in my opinion, like a one-year, $3 million, and you'll probably give him a $1 million incentive maybe on top of it um, if he can hit the mark on being healthy on certain stuff, which it's not a tremendous amount of cost. You're not spending a lot to Kenneth Walker as it is. Yes, he's got the injury stuff that's popped up there, but you're not asking him to be the main bell cow back. You're just trying to deepen out your running back room a little bit. And it doesn't stop you from still drafting a guy later on, Brendan. And boy, if you did that, I'd feel pretty good about a running back room where you go Walker, Penny, Homer, and let's say you take a, a good well, back Dallas. fourth room. Oh, that's Homer's right. Sorry. A free agent. Uh, right. My bad. I meant, I meant DJ Dallas, but DJ Dallas, and then you get a guy in maybe the fourth round. That'd be a pretty good crew of guys you run through into next season with. You'd, you'd feel okay about that as far as it being a, uh, one of the stronger units on your positional groups, I think, on your team to a degree. Not the strongest are up there, but yeah. one of the stronger ones. Yeah. One year, three million was kind of the number I came to as well. And I'm, I'll, I would do it. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I do. It's, it's a way of, you know, you're not paying big money at that point. Prove it deal. We love those prove it deals on some of those guys. So, and, and boy, I still feel like Brendan, he's going to eventually, none of these injuries are all interconnected necessarily. Eventually he was at 6.1 yards per average carry last year. If he does just can stay on that, stay out on that field. It's, it still is there that, that tantalizing potential of what he could kind of be out there. Um, if he could just stay out there and stay healthy, man, it still does exist for me, maybe wrongly in my mind, but it does exist. I mean, that's something that actually happened. It's not like that happened in the preseason. It didn't happen in training camp. It happened in real games. So yeah, exactly. And the guy rolled up on his legs, which what do you, have you, you've seen the, the, this, the talk about that, trying to eliminate that tackle. We might've talked about that already, but it's going to be really hard to do, but I did hear about that. Yeah. Not in favor of it myself. I'm not, I, I yeah. just, yeah. NFL's trying to change a lot of stuff quickly, it feels like. Like you heard they're going to get rid of the QB sneak pushing the QB forward. I am okay with that. 
yeah, that me one, too. that one I'm good with. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was kind of cheesy that the Eagles were kind of able to do that. So I'm, I'm, I like the pushing of the pile down the field when it's a running back and the Marshawn move like Marshawn used to, you know, where everybody was like, it was like rugby that I'm okay with, but the whole, like we get three guys to throw our quarterback through the hole. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, not to mention dangerous. Cause if one of those quarterback is like gets his head caught up here and somebody mm-hmm. pushing from the back here, like you're going to get some neck snapped you know, really right. quickly like that going that that way. Yeah, I agree. But, but not this one. Not as bad as baseball, though. Baseball's changing everything this offseason. I don't know if you've seen it. Well, I like baseball doing it because they need to shake stuff up. And the stuff that they've done, I think, is smart. The shift, the bases being a little bit bigger on certain sides. I think it's a good way to go with it because it's going to get the game back going more to its origins, which when you get baseball playing its origins, it's actually fun to watch. It's gotten less fun to watch because it's strikeout, home run, walk. And that's, that is boring, but now you get more to now maybe moving runners over back control, you know, a a little bit more of now, you know, that, that stuff's all going to factor in. So I like what they're doing. They have to Brendan, because that's a sport that's has the youngsters checking out. It's an old person sport a little bit in, in how they go, but the, what they want these defenders to do at this point in tackling, Brendan, you know, you can't go high. Can't, can't, they don't, the, the offenders don't want you to go low cause you tear their ACLs. And now I got to come behind you and like slowly set you on the ground. Like, get out of here with that. I hope, I hope the yeah. NFL doesn't implement that one. I, I that one to me would be a, a, a big mistake to try to ask defenders to, to work around that. You know, I remember when Gronk, I think it was Gronk when he was still in the NFL, he like said something publicly like, Hey, defenders, please hit me high. Don't hit me low. I will pay your fine. If you hit me high, I will mm. pay your fine for you. Just please don't hit me low. You hit me low. My season's over. Like I'll deal with you hitting me high. And I always thought that was kind of a weird thing to say, but maybe that explains why Gronk is the way that he is now. <laughs> <laughs> you do pay that. You do pay that price with it at that point. Um, and then Fitzgerald was the other other side. Remember, Larry Fitzgerald used to pay opponents to. He'd be like, "I'll pay your fine if you go high," like or or something. Then yeah, because he didn't want you to go low to his knees either. So maybe there's something between that being smart as far as them going, Hey, and I, if I had to pick, I guess I wouldn't want my brain long term. But then the ACL torn ACL repairs and all that, like that's a year of rehab you know you get over your headaches in a couple weeks i guess if you're not thinking about the cte but Gronk probably isn't so no i'm sure (laughs) if there's one person not worried about cte i'm i'm pretty sure it's probably uh it's probably gronk um all right let's let's look at the next one here uh we've got 30 almost a 31 year old center with some good mobility uh another guy that uh didn't have the greatest of years but hung in there i guess from the center position this would be austin blythe our starting center this past year, Brendan. Uh, where are you out with him? Uh, probably can give out the same deal he got this year, maybe somewhere one year, four million, one more three million, maybe. Or is yeah, he just- there's a price point where I would bring him in, but I don't think it's one year, four million. Like I know he played the whole year and he wasn't terrible, but he was definitely not good. And he's such a negative in some areas; it feels like it cancels out the parts of him that are positive. It's kind of like Cody Barton where, yeah, Cody Barton's good at some stuff, but he's so bad in defending the run that it feels like it cancels out his positives. I feel the same way about um, uh, Blythe where, yeah, he's got some strengths, but he's such a bad run blocker. It just doesn't really matter that much. 
And even in, and to your point on this, even in pass protection, I was looking at some of his scores in that with PFF, which did match up to what I was thinking too. Where it's like, you know, he started out really good in pass pro, but it felt like he kind of went backwards as the year went along. And I think he only ended up still at like 62 or something like that as a pass blocking grade. So still below average. And that goes in addition to, like you said, with the failures that he brings in the run game and his inability to hold up um, as a run blocker at all because he's just so undersized. I, I feel like here you're just best bets to go in, in a different realm um, this would be the number one place to be a great place if you could find a solidified kind of guy to bring in, um, you know, a Corey Lindsley type from a couple of years ago, like the Packers in free agency that went to San Diego. Maybe a guy that's just right there still with a couple of years left to go in his career. Maybe he's not the best of the best, but just somebody that can give us an improvement at the position to at least this is, this is a spot to me where it's like, yeah, you'd like to get the young guy that could be good in the draft. But in addition to that, getting a guy that maybe can give you like league average play at the position across the board a bit more. Um, also I would look back at a guy, even like Ethan Posick this off season, uh, even though he had the up and down kind of uh, career here to start things on it. But I, I I'm leaning to that a little bit, Brendan, if I'm looking for agency, that's one of the spots. If we can find the center out there, I might try to attack that because it's such a not great, it's an okay class draft wise, but I don't know. There's guys that are stepping in and really having an effect day one in this class. Yeah. If Blythe was willing to come back for like maybe 2 million to be a backup, I'm okay with that. But I got to believe some team out there is going to say he's worth three and a half or four million to us. So I'm saying no, but if the market is not there for him and he ends up being okay with like being a backup for two million bucks, I'm okay with that. League league minimum is what you're talking about. I think for the vets, when they get to that many years, that league minimum's up like two, I think. Um, I believe it's like one and a half now. Okay. So min plus, min plus that is works. fine. Yeah, that's about right. I'm, I'm with it. That sounds about right on that deal. Uh. Next up, we got a guy who came along midway through the year and helped us out when we got ourselves in an injury bind situation with a strong safety position. He is known as a run stuffer extraordinaire. It gave us a little bit as a, a pass rusher in his six attempts off the edges of Blitzer. Um, the highest pass rush grade of an ECH. A uh, little trivia note there for you. But uh, a guy that also showed his failures in, in pass coverage when he walked in, Brandon, and this would be uh, former first-round pick of the Raiders, Jonathan Abram. I'm 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 uh, just a quick, easy kind of no on this one. If with Ryan Neal coming back as a restricted free agent, um, we don't. It, to me, we've got a little bit of that there. Joey Blunt's also on this roster cheaply. I I don't see much of a a reason to bring him back into the fold. Yeah, I did a breakdown on Jonathan Abram a couple weeks ago, looking at similar players. I determined that he'll probably get like one year, three million, which I know sounds high for a guy who is considered to be a pretty colossal bust, but. There are some things about him that are going to be appealing. The only thing I'll say is that he became a free agent in the middle of the year last year, and there was not exactly a Black Friday rush to his uh, aisle to pick him up. So maybe he's a vet min player. I don't know if he is, then sure. But if he gets what I think he's going to get, which is like one year, three million, I think you got to walk away at that point because, like you said, we've already invested enough in the safety spot. Yeah, for me, if he wants to come be a practice squad guy, that if injury strikes, we can bring him in. I'm good there, but I'm – Joy Blunt, Ryan Neal, Jamal Adams, you've got three strong safeties on the roster. I mean, hell, you might still go and draft a guy like a, a Branch or Smith, the Jamry Robinson, who can all do slot stuff and then eventually can all play strong safety in addition to it. So I, I just think for that one, that's an easy, like, look, you did good for us, but you do have coverage liabilities. They showed up. Teams attacked him when he's out there on the field in coverage. Like, they went at him um, to the point where, like, I think 
Diggs had an interception at one point just because he was hauling ass so hard to get over there and help out uh, Abram on one position where Abram was beat on the play. And thank God, I think Diggs came in and made the pick um, <laughs> to, to switch it over. But he definitely had some issues out there on that out when he was he was left out of an island. Um, and it, it sucks because, like you said, there is some stuff to his game where he can hit, he can tackle. He, and, and as we saw this year, Brendan, tackling is becoming an increasingly vital skill to have because they don't work yeah. on it they don't get better at it you kind of naturally need to have it now because no one's teaching it not anymore with them not in pads mm-hmm. all right let's uh let's look at our next guy here which would be uh oh here's here's a fun one for you here here we go i know brendan's answer on this one uh do we bring back first round pick with the heavy hands lj collier oh boy um I, I he, if we let him go, does anybody pick him up? Does he just fall through to like the practice squad, and then he ends up playing on our practice squad for like two hundred thousand dollars a year? No, Is he goes that... to a he goes to a team, but then he gets to training camp, and the team realizes he has nothing to offer, and then they release him, and that's the end of his pro career. You think he's just done? <laughs> I, I don't think he provides anything. Um, it's he's had so many attempts here in Seattle for them to show show him off. I mean, they tried to even do it around the trade deadline last year, where they started giving him a lot of snaps. Remember that right before the trade deadline, and they were trying to like show him off a little bit to get somebody like, hey, how about this former first round pick? Anybody interested? Huh? How about for a fifth? Nobody was going to bite on that. And you know, he's it's the problems with LG are the same problems that I talked about on the night he was drafted, Brendan, which is that he's slow off the line of scrimmage. This is the problem with Gervon Dexter, by the way, Brendan. When you watch Gervon Dexter, the one thing to watch for, because everybody in your chat I know is already probably in on with you and talking about Gervon Dexter, watch every snap with him, how slow he is off the snap, okay? Just that one little thing with that guy. But LJ was the same way coming out of TCU. There was the slowness off the snap, which wasn't getting any better. Just he could not. He didn't have that quick twitch. And then no bend, you know, no dip, no bend, no lean, no ability to everything's off power. And it's that's it's it was an easy assessment to make on why he was going to fail out of that point. Because as a pass rusher, if I if I'm not quick and I don't have the bend or the lean, then I only do with power. Power gets neutralized at the NFL level, unless you're really, really powerful. I mean, or then you've got to be great with your hands in addition to that, right, Brennan? So you got to be powerful and then great with all your all the moves, which he had none of coming out of TCU. So it's not progressed. He's not gotten better. It's not going to get better, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I'm out. I, I'm out all the way on him where I stand with LJ. I'm just like moving on. Do you think he becomes a coach? Is he going to follow the Aaron Curry path? I, I mean, well, the Aaron's an unlikely coach for me, Brendan, because you're talking about a guy from a player standpoint. If I think of a guy who's going to become a coach, I think of a guy that's a, an overachiever who understands all the details of the game, who's a thinker, always a step ahead. I don't think about the guys that have some naturally great physical gifts like Curry did, who was missing those things I just said from an aforementioned standpoint when he was a player. And with LG, I would say the same thing. Like you don't use your hands, you know, you don't, you're, you're, you're not technically refined. There's, there's nothing about you that's like stands out as far as how you, what are you going to teach somebody? You know? And I think it's just, you know, he got overdrafted. It's not his fault. He just got overdrafted from where he was, but Seattle it's, it is the fault of Seattle a little bit, Brendan, where they've now, they took for what four years to figure this out with him. They were still giving him snaps last year where it's like, we're going to take four years of this to figure out this guy can't go. Um, that's you got to be willing, I think to move off a little bit faster on guys. And the fact that he's come down to being a natural free agent, especially when they passed on his fifth year option. Mm. Yeah. What a shock that was. Yeah. 
by the way, we didn't we didn't bring this up, but uh, do we do Jordan Brooks twelve million? Maybe we talked about that last week. A little um, bit, you could have at least entertained the possibility before he got hurt. I think, although I wouldn't have done it, but now I don't think it's even worth talking about. Like, yeah, he didn't play that well, and now he's got this massive injury. No, thank you. Uh, I'm out on it as well. I, you can't pull that move um, with him. You let him play out next year and see what happens at that point and and go from there. So, um, but that's boy, that's. 12 million is a lot for a middle linebacker. I mean, they were just bristling and paying Bobby like 17 and to get down to 12 on a fifth year option. I got to figure yeah. they'll say no. I yeah, got to I, I would no. hope so. Uh, all right. We got uh, next here up on the board. Uh, this is guy's actually maybe an interesting guy, a former fourth round pick out of Wake Forest. A guy took a long time, got in Carroll's kind of doghouse, Brendan, where whenever he was getting on the field for a long period of time there, he played very good. And then, Finally, now this year, they gave him some real consistent playing time. And by consistent, I mean flopping in and out with Gabe Jackson at right guard. But he is 27. Um, he didn't play badly this year. But we've got Phil Haynes as uh, a guy. We've got right now some free agents out there. Gabe Jackson is still on the roster right now, right? So for the moment, for the moment, technically speaking, where uh, where are you with Phil Haynes? Well, Given the fact that he didn't play that much last year because he got the kind of whatever Gabe Jackson left, and he was relatively inconsistent when he did play. It's not like he wowed me. I, honestly, I was a little disappointed in him. Me too. I think that he's played better previously. And given the fact that he was out there where anybody could have gotten him very recently and nobody made an offer, I think this is like a pure vetman guy. And for vetmen, sure, you got to bring in depth on your offensive line and Phil Haynes, I mean, he's better at guard than uh, Jay Curhan is, at least. I know that much. So, yeah, Vetman, maybe even a little more than Vetman. Maybe I go to, like, $2 million. It's fine. I'm, I'm good with it, yes. Yeah, I would go vet. I would go – $2 would be okay for me, too. Um, he played, you know, uh, just a, maybe a smidge better than Gabe Jackson. Um, uh, much like with Austin Blythe, I had hoped that his pass, pass protection grade would be better because he's not a natural run blocker, but you do hope he – can lean into what his strength is, which is supposed to be pass protection, which was more of a kind of, again, like a low sixties grade a lot. I think with like it was with Blythe on that. Um, so veteran minimum deal, you're certainly looking at guard in this draft to address that and, and getting a guy into the future there, but uh, you're not looking at making a big payday to this guy uh, at all. And I don't think there's going to be a big payday for him on the market as well. Um, kind of didn't seem like you're really Carol. I think the long, the amount of time he got stuck in his doghouse and never felt like Carol was really fully on board quite with, Haynes for whatever reason either, it, especially with how bad the guard play could be for a while there without not not calling to him, right? Like, well, things are bad. Let's try out the youngster out there, right? Well, I think the one thing to remember is that he was playing right guard this most recent year, and I've always kind of thought Phil Haynes would be better at left. Agreed. So we might be playing him out of position. He might be – Great point. You might sign him, and then you're like, okay, we've got ourselves a high-quality backup left guard to Damian Lewis. So – on one of those levels, he has to be worth it, I think. So, sure. Big great value then, because you are getting vet minimum a guy that can play two positions and legit play two positions, not just, well, he's really, like you said, I think he's best left guard, but he's at least shown that he can be functional at right guard if you have to put him there in a pinch. So that's a great point. And I think that could be something to push over, maybe bringing him back a little bit, especially with his familiarity with the scheme. Uh, here's an interesting one here, which is we've got a guy that's been a special teams ace, one of the better special teams players, I think, in the NFL over probably the last five years. But he is getting a little bit older. He's played uh, everywhere across for us, special teams-wise and middle linebacker and uh, even fullback. 
And that'd be Nick Ballore, almost about to be 34 years old here, Brendan. Uh, to what, $2.25 million, I think, because he's going to be up at the top of the vet minimum stack on that at that point, I think, or somewhere in that, I think, I think you said one and a half. But he'll, they'd give him probably two if they brought him back in, if not a little bit more. What do you think about that? Is he still had a good year this year, didn't he? I I mean, our special teams was excellent this year, so you got to give him some of the credit for that. It's really hard to figure out this guy's value because it's hard to compare him to other players, right? Because mm -hmm. he's a special teamer. He's considered really good, but he's also old. And when players get to a certain age, they don't get the big money because everyone knows like the cliff could be coming any second now. We're not going to be stuck holding a bag on a special teamer. Um, but he also plays a little fullback and a little linebacker. So um, I guesstimated after, you know, trying to consider all these different angles here, maybe it would be something like one year, three million or two years, five million. And I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with it too. I think on all these guys, we're not going to have any real super big dog in the fight because we're not talking about big market deals here. You do start to worry about 34 years old. And I think when NFL players, especially guys like that, that are going to be in kind of high contact spots, even if on special teams where it's a fewer snaps per game, but being that that is kind of his carved out role and that it isn't a role that requires 50, 60 snaps a game. I think you're a little more willing to bring him back in on that. And like you said, I think they probably try to do like a two-year deal if they bring him back in to, 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 to soften a little bit of the impact of the cap this year on that just a bit, just a tiny bit that it would. But uh, Nick's been a good player for us. Um, and again, like you said, as, as the uh, advanced statistics do foretell about this last season, uh, we had one of the best special teams units in all of football. And that's because everybody kind of did their part. Your kicker made his kicks. Your punter was one of the best in the league. Your kick returning unit was awesome. And then your ability to stop people on punt returns and kick returners was also top notch. So the yeah. a big part of that. Always one of the league leaders up there in tackles on special teams. Although I should say we were last, and I do mean dead last in the league in punt return yards. That's, that's our, that's the, that's yeah. the, yeah, that, that's the uh, Achilles heel of this team right now is that they've, they've failed for a while now to find a good punt returner, which, you know, <laughs> it's like Eskridge, Hey, you're looking for a role in the team this off season. Like if I could get an Eskridge's ear right now. Okay. It's like, okay, D February 16th, you're not running great routes. You're not catching the ball. Great. Your injury stuff's coming up. The one place you could find yourself acclimate on this team and secure yourself a roster spot going forward, even with your now increasing cap cost being a second rounder is if you can become a dynamite punt returner. Just get the jugs machine every day in your backyard. Have that thing popping 50 to you a day. Get good at it. You know, that's, you want your pathway. There it is. Because this mm -hmm. team needs it right now. Does And it, yeah. it could be a, it could be a thing to really help this team out where you'd have a dominating special teams unit if you get your punt return unit in the fold with the rest of the stuff at that point. Megan uh, Gock Roger, how you doing, Megan? Thank you for the $5 donation. I really do appreciate it. She says, is it better to stack the defensive line first in the draft or look to fill the holes first or vice versa? Let's say you on this one, Brendan. Hmm. Is it better to stack the D-line first in the draft? I mean, questions like this to me, I always kind of think like it depends, right? It depends on who is in the draft, who is in free agency. Um... I would say that in general, in a vacuum, I'd probably rather stack the D-line first to make sure I stack the D-line right, to make sure I end up with the Miles Garrett instead of the LJ Collier or the uh, Vaughn Miller instead of the Courtney Brown or whoever that guy was who the Browns took number one overall that one time. I think that it was, was Courtney Brown way back in the day. 
Sounds right. It's, it's yeah. been a while, but it sounds right. right. But um, the point is I'd make sure that the, the D line that you stack up is actually stacked and it's not stacked full of first round busts. So I would probably do that first, but it does depend. Yeah. I, I think Megan, it does. Um, some of it depends as well, Megan, on how you're trying to build your team. Like with us building ours right now, it's a bit of a desperation because your D line needs just help no matter what. So it's sort of like, however you can get the help, wherever you can get the help, you're going to pull from all hands, um, rather than being more pinpoint in your approach. I think Brennan's point about this, where when you set the frame up in free agency by addressing a little more strongly your defensive line, if you can, then that's going to help you to the draft to sticking in the pocket of best player available, which is going, going to usually equate out to the best possible draft. So that does help to have that. It is a little bit better, though. Here's the other part of this is I think it does help in general to have more younger defenses rather than having the old high paid defenses on the other side of that, which you could get into if you're trying to buy through free agency, the guys, but this is also why Megan, me and Brendan have been really like enamored with a guy like, for instance, um, uh, Deron Payne, cause he's 25. So yeah. you're, you're not bringing in a guy that is that older. Yeah. You're paying the money, but he's a young guy still in his age wasn't, at that point. Wasn't LJ Collier 25 in his rookie year? Yeah, he was. Yes, I think so. That's right. I think that kind of says everything you need to know about how 25 <laughs> is still really young. It is. It absolutely is. And some of these guys, it's why it's, it's, you've got to look at prospects differently. As I say, Brendan, from those guys that are coming in at 24 versus the guys coming in at just being 21 years old, you know, that there's, when you got that four years of difference, you got to look at how far out the difference is also going to be as far as where the time they're going to take to develop. And the fact that there's still room of development there, 24 year old guys, the ceilings this far away, 21 year old guys, the ceilings this far away uh, most of the time. So um, most of it, Megan, I think you try to be aggressive at the front of this, but you, you do as much as you can. And, and at the end of the day, it's really a balance of both to get this accomplished. It will take both ends of this to make this happen um, in both areas. But thank you, Megan, the $5 dono. I appreciate you. Kevin Mullen with a $2 donation. Any thoughts on safety Sydney Brown from Illinois? Have you had a chance to take a look at Sydney Brown? Uh, no, I, I haven't done a ton of draft stuff yet because I'm still focused on free agency, but I'll be looking at all these guys when the time comes. Sydney Brown out of Illinois is going to be a player you're going to really like, and I would highly recommend you take a look at him, Brendan. I always have my list of guys that I would put out there that are Brendan, my, you know, probably 10, 15 guys in a draft that are all through the draft, you know, first to seventh round guys that you can kind of find, but just guys you like, you know, guys you're like, I just have an affinity for this guy. Brown is going to be one of those guys for me on my list of that. He has uh, times where there are shades of sort of Paul Umalu like, if I, does this make sense? He has Palumalu like um, aggressiveness to him. That makes sense. Like where the guys are just no, going I, without I a reckless it. abandon, where there's just they, they, that extra, like there's no business decisions going on here. This guy is, is just playing kind of mean and aggressively, and everything he's doing is a forward step in that realm of things. like uh, Hafunga? Hafunga, a little bit. But this guy's got, I think, and that's a good one too, because Hafunga's definitely, I think, worked with actually. Um, He's actually, I think, worked with Paul Mullen. I can see some of that too. But this guy's even got a little bit more of a difference than Havunga's got the, the limitations speed-wise, quickness-wise, change of direction. This guy's got that. Um, and he's he's another one of those guys like Brian Branch or Jamie Robertson who can play in the slot and also can play out in safety. So if you're looking at finding in this draft, guys, you're going to have to pick high to get these guys. But if you want to come into this draft and find an insurance policy for Jamal Adams that's a highly talented guy, I know that's Ryan Neal's coming back into the fray, but if you're just looking to go a little bit more on top of that, because they may be looking at you out going, okay, Jamal's gone, Ryan Neal's gone a year from now, and we got nobody there. 
this kid can play some of that slot and be an improvement over Kobe Bryant in the interim. And so he's just, he's a, he does it all. He's got the instincts. He plays with that ferocity of spirit. Um, I was watching this kid last night on the other side of it, Brendan, that was just, you know, another kid out of um, Arkansas safety. And you can just see the differences of a guy's, you know, going through the motions versus guys going out there and just letting it rip, really letting it rip. So Sidney Jones, very impressive. Second round grade for me right now on him, but he will be a, a, a one of my guys in this draft. And Brendan's going to absolutely love him when he sees him. Okay. It's uh, that, that, that just stands, it stands out to him, you know, just stands mm-hmm. out with that. Thank you though, Kevin. Appreciate the donation, man. The double donos today on from Kevin. So very kind of you. All right. Uh, let's progress on here further with the list. We've got, uh, I, I think we're both a quick, easy no on Artie Burns. I don't think that there's a lot no of point. Discussion. There's no point. No real there. point. No point. He's there. probably going to do good stuff on wherever he goes next if he gets the opportunity. So. He very well could. It seems like he had a chance this year to slip in if he really wanted to slip in. And well, maybe I got to give him a little credit for that, Brendan. Look, he might have gotten stuck behind Trey Brown and you know uh, Mike Jackson and just been like, I'm not quite as good as them, but I'm actually still a pretty good player. So that that could have been a bit of a bit of part of this. But he's he's not likely to come back at this point. Um, just don't see it now with our cornerback room. Right. Um, let's talk about Drew Locke. I think uh, this is another e- interesting name here. I would expect him to get kind of near a. He's probably going to make one seven, one six, right? Something one five, somewhere in that. Yeah, I kind of i my best guess was if he goes somewhere where he's going to be the backup, like here, if we bring back Gino, he would probably get like one year five or two years ten. Mm-hmm. If he goes somewhere where he's expected to start or have a real good chance to win the starting job, it would probably be more like one year seven. Mm-hmm. I was kind of looking at the, the deal Bridgewater got last year to be the backup to Tua. It was like 6.5. And I'm thinking, well, Bridgewater is probably a little better than Locke. In fact, Bridgewater beat Locke out for the starting job just last year. So you come down a little bit from that. You come down to like 5 million. The cap is going up, so you can't go down too far. And then you look at the way Gino knew last offseason that he had an opportunity to start. So he did not take the veteran minimum, which he probably would have if he thought he was going to be the backup to Wilson again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these guys ask for a little more money when they know they're actually going to be playing. So right. I'd say somewhere around there. If Gino walks, is is Drew Locke, if it comes in at that rate of salary, your option too? What or if not, what is your option to at the quarterback position? Kind of think he is. If Gino walks and you don't want the and I mean, even if you draft somebody at number five, mm-hmm. you're probably gonna want at the very least somebody who's there who can start for a while, like Andy Dalton for Justin Fields or man, what's another good recent example? Um I think it's just a great rule of thumb. I think it's yeah. it, it's just I think you're on the right track of it's just a proper way to bring a young kid in like that and give him the year as opposed to throwing him right into the deep end of the pool. And that we've had so many examples of guys thrown in that some guys have had success, certainly, but Mahomes got the opportunity to sit and benefit. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years before he played. You know, the, the there is no guarantees he can play, but to I think to know that you're not gonna have to force Brendan, your top five pick quarterback, to get out there and go now. I think that would be an added benefit to them. And it's a long-term approach thing you're looking at with that kind of kid when you draft him. Um, I, and and I, I think it's a one-year deal you're giving Drew at that point. So you're you're okay because you know you're out from under the contract in a year and then you can do something else at that point. But 
uh, I, I would be in favor of Gino walks of going this direction with it, even and and absent, like you said, what you do in the draft. It's just simply we need to do two things. We need to do two things to the quarterback. You'll need to get a young guy and you'll need a veteran presence. And I, I, I like what I get out of Drew Locke as a backup there. I like some of what he gives you as, as far as some of the abilities that he has. And maybe a little bit like with Gino, a little bit of the untapped nature that may still kind of exist there in him. Yeah. I mean, I'm not super optimistic about that at this point, but it, it doesn't matter. You can still rock with him. You don't have to believe that he's going to be great mm-hmm. to believe that he should be starting at the start of 2023 with a uh, rookie quarterback X behind him. Right. Um, you know, and um, geez, like if it's not Drew Locke, who's it going to be? You could go get another high level backup like a Teddy Bridgewater, but I don't see how that's any better. Right. Well, and that's, and yeah, I mean, that's what I look at. There's that, there's other guys out there, but I don't see anybody from what I've looked at name wise that's would interest me in the level that I think I'd be interested with Locke, where I'm, I'm not saying that I think Locke could be Gino or will be Gino if you put him in. Like, oh, so it's no doubt you put him in and he'll be exactly what you got from Gino. But I do think that there's the potential of it there with him. I think he's got a lot of the same parameters that exist in him that existed with Geno Smith and that what they came from and the first situation they went to and where their draft status was and the type of player they reviewed coming out of college. There's a lot of equivalency there between those two guys. And so I, I just think when I look at some of the other names that are out there, I, I want Baker Mayfield, no on the Garoppolo, you know, no, 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 I don't want any of that. I, you know, I'm, I, you know, so I say, yeah, you bring him back in 5 million. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Sounds proper. Sounds right. Sounds true. Mm. Um, okay, there's another interesting cat here, Brendan. You and I are talking about the wide receiver situation a little bit as being a need going forward. Don't know what we got in Eskridge. Uh, Derek Young's got some interesting potential to him. A uh, guy that the, they came out this year and played really good, solid third wide receiver role for us this season in the slot. Uh, third best rated receiver by PFF this year behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf until he went down with a, a, a an unfortunate hand injury because Gino didn't decide he would scramble on the play and sent through a cockamamie ball out there to the receiver trying to throw him open and he had to die for it on a bad throw. But Marquise Goodwin, very, very impressed by him last year myself on what he did for us on this team. 32-year-old cat at this point. What do you think about him as a potential bringing him back along? I'm definitely for it because especially if you're going to kind of, you know, really go out and try to win games this year, you need something you can rely on. And as much as we may like Derek Young or Cade Johnson or whoever, there's no way you can rely on him. Yeah. So I, the hard part is figuring out the money here. Because if you look at the way he played in 2022 and you compare it to other contracts that have been handed out recently, I came out to one year, 3 million. Mm-hmm. But then I think, you know, he 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 got the minimum last year. And what has changed that dramatically? He's still the same guy that everybody knows has been there all his career. He's really, really fast, but he gets hurt a lot. And sure enough, this year he was really, really fast and he got hurt again. So right. I could, objectively speaking, he should probably get like the one year, three million, but he's older now. Also, that's a thing too. People don't want to be holding the bag on a guy who suddenly got old. And Goodwin is a guy who the age is going to hit him hard. Mm-hmm. The age is going to hit him hard because he's his game is based around speed. So I would say either way, I'm actually good with it. But I think he might be a vetman guy. I think he's very close to that as well for me. Talk about maybe the 500,000 incentive kicker or something in there. But I agree. I like what he gave. I certainly would like to bring him back. 
Um, but he didn't do anything necessarily in establishing himself that made me think that he was a vital part of us, what we going, going forward. And again, the part with this, that, like you said, at the end, I think this important part, 33 years of age, that's very old for a wide receiver in this sport. One that like you has also said, he relies on the, the speed, the quickness, which you're going to start to lose that step. Do you have now some of the size and length to fall back on and, and, and the route running acumen, all that, not as much maybe with him. Um, so I will bring him back, but Brendan, I'm not, it's not the top of the stack. It'd be nice if you did, because I think if you do bring him back now, you have, you have, uh, Tyler DK Goodwin, um, Derek, and then Marquis Goodwin as your established kind of five going into next year, it doesn't hold you back from drafting a receiver, but now you're not certainly driven to have to draft a receiver somewhere in this draft, which, um, you know, just makes him less likely to reach for a needy point in the draft, I think. Yeah. Uh, and let me just say, if needed, I would go up to 3 million for Goodwin. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I'd be willing to do that too. I think that's a feasible thing for a guy that gives you some of that insurance there for him. And he can, I think, do also some stuff on the outside if Tyler or DK does go down. He's not just simply a guy because he has that speed. I think he could also accomplish some stuff out on the outside if you needed him to. So yeah, he had his best game of the year when DK got hurt and he stepped up for DK. So yeah. So it's true. True. Good boy. Those throws on the, on the touchdowns, the two throws from Gino to him on the, on the sideline throws over the top were things of beauty, man. Absolutely. Things of beauty. Kevin Mullen with another $5 donation. Thank you, Kevin, for all the donations on the channel tonight. Appreciate you, brother. Always do. Says, I can't imagine that Pete Carroll and John Schneider traded Russell Wilson and his large cap hit to only get back into that situation with an unproven journeyman quarterback in Gino Smith. Where do you think they're standing right now? Where's Where's John Schneider's head tonight, Brendan? Step into his head and tell me what you see. Um, I think this uh, super chat's misrepresenting things just a little bit. So let 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 let's think back to the uh, Wilson thing. Was the resistance with Wilson because of the money, or was it because a we felt like he wasn't worth that money anymore we felt like he wasn't all that anymore b we were sick of dealing with some of the side drama that came with wilson and c the fact that he didn't he kind of felt like this you know the pete carroll stuff was kind of beneath him i don't think it was just like oh this guy wants a lot of money get him out of here no it was a there were other elements at play um i i can't remember it was who said it it might have been a uh, brock and sulk on the radio they were saying you know the reason why Wilson ultimately got traded was he stopped buying into the Carroll stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gino is buying into it. Therefore they should be willing to pay him. So I don't see it as I, and I don't think Pete and John see it as, Oh, we just didn't want to pay a quarterback a bunch of money. In fact, Carroll has said, I was ready to make Wilson the highest paid player in the league. If that's what I needed to do to do to keep him. So it's not about money. I don't think. Let me ask you a couple questions with this though, because I do think I lean a little bit with some of, the, of what Kevin's saying with this, because I think that there's a difference of of outlook on the Russell Wilson situation a couple of years ago from Pete Carroll to John Schneider. And I'd also think that in conjunction with that, Brendan, Pete Carroll at that time was maybe wielding a little bit more power than JS was wielding as far as being able to make that call, like you said, of I'll make him the highest paid quarterback. I, I'll keep doing this. Uh, you know, And if that control got wrestled away from him this past offseason by Jody Allen, that very well could have changed the landscape of this because my inclination and belief on this is that John Schneider would like 
to probably try to do what they did last time. I, I, I can't help but think that Brendan here in this, you have the success 10 years ago, you have it in this major fashion that the year you go and win a Super Bowl, you're paying 0.56% of the salary cap to your quarterback. And that when you look at what, what they had to do from a, a cap standpoint and the acrobatics they had to make in order to fit everything in when Russell contract was here, it impacted them. It impinged them. It restricted their ability to build this roster out in a way to make it an elite roster, to make it a Super Bowl roster. There's no way, Brendan, to me that they look at the last five or six years and say, we at one of these points of years had a Super Bowl roster constructed. You might be able to say we had a good roster constructed, a division winning roster constructed, but not a Super Bowl winning roster. And if it wasn't constructed, then what are the reasonings that they're saying in the front office? What are the reasons they're explaining as to why that didn't happen over that time while you had a Hall of Fame quarterback going through his prime? What are the explanations at that point? You just missed on the draft so badly. You misspent your money so poorly, or perhaps putting so much of the percentage of the salary cap to your quarterback absolutely stopped you from being able to build that type of roster. I feel like, and again, on my standpoint on this, Brendan, you might be very well right. I think there's a difference between Carol and Schneider on their thinking of this. And, and I think that Schneider's got a little more power to wield here in his outlook of it. And he wants to lean a little bit more back to that blueprint that they had so much success with. Because even going back to the Super Bowl the next year, you weren't paying Russell. He didn't get his new contract there either, right? right. He wasn't, he wasn't right. getting a, he wasn't rewarded yet. So it was only a couple percentage points, like a little bit higher than that by that, by that third year point. So I, I can't, I, I have to think that that's pushing the situation a little bit from, from John Schneider, especially if he's got some control in this room. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure they do think that, but if they think that, I think they're very, very wrong in making excuses for their own inability to have success during that era. Like, can it be a bit of both? No, not really. I don't think so. The Rams were paying like 50 million to their quarterbacks two years ago and they won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chiefs were paying 17 and a half percent of their cap to Mahomes this year and they won the Super Bowl. So you have to pick the right quarterback. And look, maybe Geno's not that guy. Maybe Geno's not the quarterback that you decide, okay, well, this is the guy we're going to pay big money. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely open to that possibility. But I don't buy that Payne Wilson was why we couldn't build the team. I mean, at the end of the day, you still gave $7 million for to Greg Olson for him to do nothing. You gave $7 million to Luke Jokel, who was a colossal bust everywhere he had been before. But you're like, oh, we're going to bring him in here and fix him up. No, I think he was benched by midseason because he was terrible. Like, um, you know, our one of our best free agent signings during that era was uh, at Barubin, guys like that. So you got to spend the money that you have a little bit better. So... Maybe that is the excuse that JS and Pete are using. And if so, then okay, there's obviously going to be some resistance to paying any quarterback, but I don't think it's a good excuse. I don't buy it at all. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right in that it's not a, a holy one to another for me that it's or with me and I'm and maybe they're just thinking it's holy that, but I think that there's a they divvy it up apart. I think there's gotta be some some part of this that's occurred where they've looked inside and said, where's it going wrong for us drafting wise at least? We don't know on money. We'll see on that in this in another month from now, Brendan, that answer will be answered, right? That question will be answered. But we do see from last year and how they drafted. And, and what they did, and there being a, a sort of a change in the way that maybe there was some internal inspection going on as to why we're failing with that. But I think as well that they have to look at, they do look at a little bit of that money. And I think that, you know, there's also a bit of this, Brendan, where they may have thought that they were getting a little bit more of a tilting of the player of the field with the Russell Wilson with that contract over that time in retrospect as well, right? A guy that at times played magnificently, but at times played 
a lot with some inconsistency in there as well for his top water marks where you weren't getting a guy who needed at times things to be kind of right at points. Um, I, again, might push them away a little bit more for, and then you bring up a good key point is where their view is of Gino, how much success they look at and say this happened this year because Gino or this happened. Gino was a big part of this, but also a big part of this is the the conditions that we've created, which we can create again for another quarterback. Yeah, sure. And of course it's easier when you're not paying the quarterback a ton of money. Of course it is. Yeah. But I don't subscribe to the theory that it becomes impossible just because you're paying the quarterback a lot of money. And in my opinion, these last two Super Bowls have proven that it becomes harder. But, oh, um, OK, sometimes you in life, you have to do hard things. Sometimes mm -hmm. in life, the task in front of you is harder than you might have expected, but you're supposed to do it anyway. So uh, I know I, I don't buy that excuse at all. And if that's how you feel, you shouldn't have paid him in the first place. Don't pay the quarterback and then act like, oh, we can't build a good team because we paid the quarterback. If that's how you feel, don't pay the quarterback. Just trade him. Well, that's where my feeling, though, comes into the maybe the, the bit of the friction that not friction, but just disagreement that exists between Carol and Schneider at that point. Because I think if you took Schneider and put him under a lie detector test when he's out there looking at Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen's pro days at the time, right? Right about mm -hmm. the time they're about to sign him to the, the contract. He's thinking about it, right? He's considering it. They're calling the Cleveland Browns out, asking about the number four, four, number one overall pick for Russell Wilson. There is a thought process in play about trading this guy at that time. It wasn't simply he's our guy and he's here forever at that point. There's at least some like, let's play some footsies out there. Um, and so I I do think that he was thinking of, but I think Carroll was in a different mindset and Carroll wielded a bigger stick at that point. Does Carroll wield that same stick now, that same size of stick? I'm not so sure he does. Um, and we'll see, yeah. we'll see with this Gino deal, man. And it's a, it's a great conversation, man. Cause it's, this is, you're right. There isn't just one pathway to get in the Super Bowl. You don't just like check these boxes and that's the only way you get there. There's a couple ways you can get there. And one of the ways you talk about, yes, you can get there paying a quarterback big money. It's harder. Like you said, there's a lot of failures for the one successes you'll get. There's a whole huge list of failures, but it's a pathway you can go out and there is an easier direction, which has been my, my maintenance with why I like to go back to that blueprint. Brendan is not only is it a blueprint you've had success with, it's also the one which is the easiest pathway to getting a Super Bowl and winning it if you look at the last 15 years. Absent a guy like Tom Brady, for instance, that's, you know, the outlier. You know, just more often than not, if I go win a Super Bowl, what are the conditions at quarterback? How much I'm paying the quarterback? How old that quarterback is? Tends to be this other way that you do get that success. Yeah, I mean, to me, the argument just lost a lot of steam when the Rams were paying their quarterbacks a combined $50 million dollars the quarterback they had led the league in interceptions and they still won the Super Bowl. When I saw that, I was like, okay, I think we need to like broaden the way we look at this just a little bit here. Yeah. But wasn't some of that also built in with their, their, their willingness, unique willingness to go for it more than any yeah. team was willing to go for it. So, I mean, they were, they were effectively artificially creating more cap space for them in that year than most any team has done in NFL history in the modern salary cap age. That's got to be a part of that impacts that where, okay, you're paying 50, but you created an extra 25 to 30 million in the way you pulled your contractual numbers out. Is the average team going to do that? Is the, does, does the average team want to do that? Is it smart for the average team to do that? I, I kind of go, well, depends if you're in the Ram situation, like they were, then it's smart to do it, but that's not something that's easy re to repeat or replicate. And I don't think it changes the rule of thumb that more often than not, it's very looking more often than not quarterbacks who win Super Bowls are not making 15% of the salary cap. Or you have your quarterback position taking up 15% of the salary cap. It's happened a couple outlier points here, but that doesn't mean that that's definitely the rule of thumb. And in, in a very strong fashion, if you look over the last 25 years of football for those teams that have won.
Yeah, yeah, I agree that it's still the case most of the time. But uh, also, one more thing, going back to the original topic. Um, we know a big part of the problem was that JS hated dealing with Wilson's agent. I think if Wilson had a more normal agent, maybe some of the stuff that happened doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm doing a video right now with John Schneider and uh, Rogers having a conversation back and forth about Wilson. And I have Rogers as Gollum. So I'll be <laughs> He'll be Gollum talking to him, but I agree. Yeah, there's, yeah. I, I think those yeah. guys are the So contention. I don't think you're going to see the same resistance to pain Gino that you might've seen for a Wilson. No, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely possible. And it'll, we'll see a little bit by how these numbers play out and how this situation plays out with what their, how their view of is it, if that's changed them, you know, and if they, or if they look at this as a different situation or that they're just one, like Brendan said, the Thomas, maybe just, they are willing to pay a quarterback that they're not precluded from doing so. Um, we'll understand this a lot more clearly from that um, moving forward. Kevin, though, thank you for uh, generating some interesting discussion on that, man. It is, it gets quarterback value, how much to pay, what's the proper approach, man. This gets to some of the fundamentals of, of team building and creation, right? Brendan, where it's just, you got to start with that point at times and your philosophy a little bit on what you're willing to do, what you aren't willing to do with that, because it's going to drive the rest of the team and the rest of your philosophy and the rest of your strategy. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's let's keep peeling through here. Um, let's go with a couple guys that I think we can just kind of go with a, a quick probably no with, Brendan. Um, but you tell me if you're anything out other than this. Uh, Kyle Fuller. I mean, I think there's a universe where you bring in a new starting center and then Kyle Fuller you bring back for the veteran minimum as a backup that I don't hate. But other than that, even even that I would kind of feel like can we do a little bit better at backup? So probably not, but I'm not completely dead set against it. All right. I'm kind of out on him. I think he's not really showing you much out there and you can do better just about with, I mean, any warm breathing body out there would could be doing better than Kyle Fuller to me at this, at this point, maybe, maybe I'm being hard on the kid. Uh, Justin Coleman, we brought him back this past year to be a slot extraordinaire for us. He was not able this season to beat out Kobe Bryant throughout the course of the year. Kobe had an okay year, pretty decent year for a rookie season out of the slot playing out of position. But uh, Justin definitely looked like a guy that's been pretty close to what he's been the past two seasons since he left Seattle, um, which is not a great player. How, where are you at on him? Did you Another chance on him or eh? Uh, seems like he's headed towards the uh, old uh, assistant defensive back coach role maybe yes but, uh don't want him back as a player not as a player um josh johnson uh guy who could be pretty decent for you in coverage had the season ending injury he is oh, josh not, jones josh jones sorry okay. josh Johnson. sorry added a couple couple h's and s's and o's there uh he's a very good josh jones a very good guy in coverage for the most part can't tackle for his life not good in the run game at all which is a problem for a strong safety uh where we have with, with uh, joshy uh, I'm going to say no, because he can't tackle. That makes me feel like he's not going to be good on special teams. And if you're going to be a reserve safety, you need to be good on special teams. So I'm going to say no. Um, agreed there. Um, here's a, here's one that I think could be a, a tough one to, to look at. And, and Cody, Cody Barton is a free agent right now, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we got Cody Barton, 26 years old. Started out the year last year, Brendan, in, in a really rough fashion. And he was, I mean, bad, 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 bad across the board. And he steadily improved as the year went on. He stacked up some very consistent performances for the most part through the back of the year. Most part, there's there's still some flashes of the bad in there. Um, but you have Jordan Brooks down with a torn ACL. You've got another guy we'll be talking about in a second on this free agent list, Tanner Muse, also a free agent. Your middle line and John Radigan. 
Um, no, he's a, he's a restricted free agent. They'll bring him back. But you have not a lot of bodies here, not a lot of legitimate bodies here. What do we do with Cody Barton here? First off, tell me, what do you what is his market? What is this guy worth? Yeah, I did a video on that. I actually kind of came to the conclusion that if teams are willing to look at him objectively, it should probably be like about $5 million a year because he does have strengths, strengths as a player. Minimum, you are talking about him as a really good special teamer because that's what he was before this season. So I looked at it and I was like, two years, 10 million, two years, 11 million sounds reasonable to me. I don't think I'm matching that, but you're right. We're in an awkward situation. I'd like to know when Brooks is supposed to be ready to play again, by the way, because we're not getting great information there yet. Is he going to be ready for camp? Is he going to be ready for preseason? Is he going to be ready for week one? Is he not going to be ready till October? I kind of feel like I need to know that because I'd be willing to go up to like 3 million a year for Barton, but I can't go up to five. Agreed. I think three would be about my two year, $3 million deal would be about as far as I would go. I, to think that you're going to 5 million for Cody Barton just makes me almost throw up in my mouth a little bit that you'd be paying him that amount of money. And um, he's got some people that are pro him out there in the Seahawks fandom of things. And again, I know he did kind of turn around a little bit, but there's just, there's some problems in his game. There's also the arguments we made out there from some um, I've certainly heard this from some pro linebackery people out there in Seahawks fandom land. Uh, who will say, well, these guys this year, you buying into like the linebackers this year really can't be held accountable for the run game failures because the defensive line just didn't do their job. And that impacted their play so heavily. Yeah, you still see those plays where it just looks like he has his eyes closed when he's trying to pick where to go to against the run. Yeah, I I, I agree. Or he just gets swallowed whole and he's not, you know, the guys will sometimes do a little this little move to kind of get around the lineman. He's come lineman's kind of doing the Frankenstein thing down the field at the second level. And the linebackers will do a little, little stutter step to get around him, or they'll, they'll try to grab him and you'll see him try to throw. He just seems to get enveloped and swallowed whole. It's like he gets black holed all the time by the, by the lineman. Uh, Frankenstein wasn't the name of the monster, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. I know, I know, but it's it's just yeah. I I can't do it. I can't pull the trigger, man. It's it's we'll let him we'll let him go at that point if so many teams going to pay him that five million. That's where I was going a little bit of like, well, does it maybe we could do a little compensatory here if some of this plays a certain way where if Gino were to get go out there in free agency if you weren't able to do a sign and trade with the franchise, that's still probably a third round compensatory. You could get you know if Cody made five million, that'd be probably a you know fifth round compensatory. You know, a couple of these guys, you could, if you wanted to play that situation, Brendan, on the other side of it, it would require us to trade to take on our salary at that point. But a Deron Payne takes up a bit of that. You know, you go make a couple of the trades that could take up a bit of that if they wanted to kind of play that game. But it does take, you were talking about a little bit of, of like, well, if you could kind of play it up, it goes. I think to play the compensatory game, you have to almost kind of tactically do it from the jump in free agency and decide you're going to do that and then make those trades rather than make them as signings or wait till the June 1st period where it doesn't count in the compensatory aspect of things. But um, interesting little way if they wanted to maybe start to consider that, especially if they were unwilling, Brendan, to franchise Gino. If they're like, we don't want to do wrong by Gino or hold him over a franchise. So we don't have a market where anybody's going to trade for him. Nobody's willing to give us a second or third. So we're just going to let him go and then get the compensatory back on the other side of it. I don't think they're likely to do that. Cause I think you're, yeah, you're giving yeah. out, you're giving away assets almost for free there, but mm -hmm. the team sometimes is team friendly. We got to acknowledge that too. They've had mm -hmm. some team friendly uh, shades to them in the past. 
Uh, all right, let's look at a couple last few guys here, Brendan. Let's let's look at the guy that was the running mate with Cody Barton last year. Another interesting guy here, I think, on this list for me. And if you you see Barton walk, could be a guy you could bring back in who could be interesting here. And that's um, former safety convert in college, Tanner Muse. With the surface I, of this, Brendan, it's a no, but or you know, because well, he's just he's a but he actually came in, he didn't play too bad for us last year, stepping in for Jordan Brooks, did he? Well, okay, we should uh talk about this for a second here because according to field goals, Tanner Muse is restricted. Okay. Uh I know Spotrack says he's unrestricted, but to my knowledge, he's a restricted free agent. So that's basically this makes things interesting. So when you have a restricted free agent, you can do one of four things. You can either not make them an offer, which means they just become unrestricted. Mm -hmm. You can do right of first refusal, which gives them a one-year $2.63 million contract. They cannot decline unless another team comes in and tops the offer. And if they do that, they have to send you a pick back equivalent to the round that the player was selected in. So in Tanner Muse's case, he was a third-round pick. That's the way to go then. Yeah. You can also do a second round tender, which is the same thing, except the team that signs him has to send you a second rounder. And the tender amount is 4.31 million. And then there's the first round tender, which is the same thing, except it's a first rounder and it's 6.01 million. Yeah. I think especially if you're walking into this, Brendan, not looking at Cody Barton, like let's just walk through it. He gets a four and a half million dollar, $5 million offer on a two-year deal on the open market. You go, I don't want to do that. I do your third round tender because not only do I not want to pay the two, the second round tender cost that you said at 4 million, but on top of that, I might get it, the bait might be a little more where I can get a team with a late third rounder going, okay, we'll go a late third rounder for a guy that could be, a, and look, something he showed in flash last year, which is going to be a growing skill in the NFL. That's going to be more valued. And I don't know if it will be with Tanner this off season, but I think you'd agree with this. He was really good in coverage last year as a yeah. linebacker. Yeah. He should have had the pick six on Mike white. Remember? He should have. Uh, yes. And, and he's, and so can he be a sub role player on a defense somewhere else as a team that values him and says, if we just bring this guy out as a coverage linebacker and knowing passing situations, he gives us upper level play at that point for putting him in that kind of position. Um, and he held up. Okay. Relatively speaking in the run game, he wasn't upper level or great enough. He wasn't a complete vacuum cleaner uh, in that, in that other Not area. Worse than Barton. Not worse than Barton's right. No worse than Barton in that realm of things. So Boy, that's the way to go there, Brennan. I would expect them to do that third round tender thing. That's that's two and a half million is not much. Over, you, you mentioned a million and a half is the veteran minimum at that point. You're yeah. you're you're spending a million more now to get the insurance if Cody leaves with Jordan, knowing you already got to fill the other middle linebacker position. Smart, smart way to go there. Yeah, and look, if somebody wants to offer him one year three million, I'll take the third rounder. That's that's it. Good bingo, right? It's one of those things like, hey, you're good either way. Like, okay, he's got some insurance, but if it's a third rounder at that point. You're going to get one of those. You'll get a Ivan Pace. I don't know if Jack Campbell would fall there, but maybe, you know, you get Owen Popoe. There, there, a lot of middle linebackers in this draft are going to reside right in that territory as far as where they're going to be drafted at. So you, you'll have a pick of a guy that'll be perfectly fine as a replacement in there at that point if they do it. And it'll be cheaper, by the way, at, at the third round value at that point. So good, good team building concept if they want to take that direction and, uh, and approach with it. Um, so looking at last couple of guys, I don't think we've got many other real named guys here. Let's look at one, which would be the running back who to me was really underwhelming last year for me, Brendan. I was expecting a little bit more out of him in a contract year. Guy can't stay healthy. Another one of these guys were running backs that just can't, even when they only have like five attempts a year, they find a way to get broken 10 times. 
Uh, but that's going to be Travis Homer, former seventh round pick here, Seattle Seahawks, been here a couple years. At one point, was starting to establish himself as maybe one of the best third down backs in the league here. Where, where are you at on Travis Homer? Yeah, if you go back to a week one, the first drive of the year, he gets destroyed on the third down where Gino, Gino throws the touchdown to Disley on the play. Mm-hmm. But if you watch Homer in pass protection on that play, he just gets annihilated by a blitzing linebacker. I think it was. I can't remember exactly who. And Gino somehow miraculously escapes it. That kind of set the tone for Travis Homer this year, unfortunately. It did. Yeah, they got, he took it, <laughs> took it right in the chops, right? Right, yeah. in the, right in the chest on that one. Yeah, he got absolutely ragdolled. Well, the good news is because he wasn't good last year, if you bring him back, it'll be Vet Min. I can't imagine he gets a penny more than Vet Min, but I still wouldn't do it. If I'm bringing back Rashad Penny, I can't bring back Travis Homer too. I need to Agreed. try to go get somebody who has actually been healthy recently. Especially considering DJ Dallas has had the same implement uh, affected you know he's been in i don't know infected i guess is the word for these running backs that enter our, our running back room he's had his own injury problems too on as well of it you can't have that many guys that have those kind of lingering issues or question marks above them um if he was more established in, in doing this consistently but let's also remember this brendan he's not just been injured this year he's like dj dallas these guys have a very few snaps but it's like every year there's a couple of injuries hitting these guys that keeps them out of football games every single year and it also seems to come right at the same time as our main backs are dinged up or down as well when we really need to bring them when we really need to call them at that point they're not there you know you're looking at their desk and their desk is empty you're like where is it well he went out for the office he's gone well we need him right now he's on call what, what's going on you know um so I, I love why I saw him in the preseason, Brendan, but you've got to get healthier at the running back position. And a big part of that is not just bringing in new bodies, younger bodies. That's bringing in guys with a better health background, not so much of an injury pedigree that's been following him along as it has been with Travis Homer. I think in every year that he's been here, there's been some kind of injury that's popped up, maybe absent his rookie year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I've liked Homer. I've been very pro <laughs> Homer over his stay, but it doesn't make sense anymore, I don't think. Yeah, if you're a running back that gets wore down after five, six years, injuries come up, you've had a thousand touches in four years, or what? if you've got some of that load, I'll be okay, I get it. It's the running back position, you guys get wore down. If you're a guy that's going to have 30 touches over the course of your season, and you're going to have five injuries for those 30 touches, to me, I'm like, come on, right? Like, I mean, uh, come on. I, I understand it's a violent game, but like, you, you've got you to be more available than that. And he's a kind of a five foot nine. He's kind of yoked up, but he's a smaller yoked up guy. So it's, you know, just shorter, which is the reality of life in the NFL. Smaller dude just can't sometimes hold up at times. Uh, Chad Hart coming in with a, five, a $10 donation. Man, Chad, thank you for the big $10. Don't know. Appreciate it, brother. He says uh, Vander Esch, which would be the uh, Cowboys linebacker, would be a good fit as a linebacker. I'd like to see Alexander Madison uh, here as a running back. What do you guys think of both of these free agents? Let's look at the one that Vanderish. I like Madison. Madison, I mean, he's beaten up on us a couple of times. So if we sign him, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, I think you're uh, the first guy that you mentioned, especially in that one, would stand out to me as being the one that'd be more attractive than Vanderish. Uh, Vanderish has been the last three years, he's been a PFF rating of. Uh, he was uh, 70 this year, 63 the year before, and 50 the year before that. So for the last three years, he's improved every single year. He is only a guy who's at, uh, what is he at an age-wise here, like 26, 27 years old or something, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird, though. He made the Pro Bowl his first year. I think he might have even made All-Pro his first year in the league. And then, like, neck. yeah. 
he had a neck thing. Remember, it's like that. That that's like he's got. That's why he's got that big roll off the back. Yeah, the the, the Bo Jackson. Roll. The Bo Jackson. Yeah, the Bo Jackson roll. So it's it, he's got. I think that neck thing affected him. You know, moving yeah. forward, and you know, I mean, seventy is a good grade. It would have beat out any of our linebackers. I like his size. He's like a bigger six three yeah. guy. So you, you like him a little bit more with like taking on blocks and. Quinn has transitioned to more of the three, four stuff. So Vanderesh does have some fluency with that, but is he going to pass the physicals with that neck and, and, and that, and it's always dodgy with those back injuries. And then what's his cost? If Barton's worth five. I mean, well, the thing is part of the reason why Barton's worth five is because he's also a valuable special teamer. I think that adds to his value a little bit vanderesh not so much when i i mean i think the problem with vanderesh is that he just seems to play a little bit soft he played i think he played for boise state in college yes. and it shows the way he plays <laughs> um, you to boise state you got boise state going brendan yeah no, no offense to the boise state people out there but it's not exactly as they're not alabama they're not georgia <laughs> they're not turning out these tough-nosed uh biting your kneecaps defensive players exactly it's true. Uh, there hasn't been too many of them come through. Um, wasn't it Marcus Lawrence? Wasn't he Boise State? Was he? Ah, uh, I, I I'm not sure. I don't. I didn't think so. But maybe you're right. But um, yeah, I I he hasn't blown me away, Chad. I think like Brendan said, his first year was really the year he was popping. You're like, ooh, this guy's gonna be something. I'm. I think he's kind of been rebuilding himself back up a little bit. If you're bringing in Van Der Esch versus Barton versus Brooks. That's an improvement. Um, he can do stuff in coverage as well. I, and I like the size that he brings, which you are a little undersized at the middle linebackers at Sands as it is. And he's not old. So he is just kind of theoretically kind of getting into his prime. But you're probably looking at like a, what, a four-year, $24 million deal to sign him with what he had last year as his play. Somewhere in that neighborhood, three years, $18 million maybe. Um, I I don't want to spend that money with with where we're at with the cap and how much money we do have to spend. Um, and again, especially because I think there's going to be some worries with his neck. Now, Madison's a hammer. And what do you need for Walker? Would you agree on this, Brendan? What we need for Walker right now, beyond bringing back Penny, which I'd love to see, um, you need a guy that can be the hammer to his lightning, who could thunder, well, the thunder to his lightning, right? The guy that yeah. can be the short yardage back who if I who can carry, carry guys and um, like the Lions have done, right? The Lions have done, they get DeAndre Swift, who's fits his name he's the swift guy he's the big play guy for him and then they've got the what's his name uh, the former packer running back down there jamal williams jamal williams who's getting 20 touchdowns a season is just their short yardage specialist you know extraordinary yeah. by the way also a free agent this offseason and i've always liked him just going to put that out there how can you not like hard runners brennan how can you not like guys that run for the with like every carries their last carry you know what i mean like that they have that kind of fire in them and they and he runs that way they might not be the most talented but they're going to give you their heart and soul on every single give. Um, and Madison gives you a little bit more juice than those guys. He's got a little bit of uh, explosiveness to him, I think, and a little bit more of a, a, an ability to really kind of actually give you a hundred yard game here and there when you need to call upon him to do, but um, he'd be a I good addition. A, I think he's had a couple hundred yard games against the Seahawks. Yeah. He's given, he's given it to us, Brennan. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's definitely given it to us on a couple of, uh, a couple of occasions. So, um, yeah, I, I like Madison a lot. I'd probably prefer him a little bit more over that Chad. Um, and I don't think he'll cost a lot, but he might command a couple million more than penny. You know, it might be like a five, five million a year for Madison or something like that. Somewhere mm -hmm. in that neighborhood. We'll be looking at that a little closer, uh, Chad, as we go forward, we'll be doing the free agent preview shows coming up and, me and Brendan will do more research on that stuff to get a little bit better idea of where these backs are going to be at and what their cost is going to be. But um, he'll be valued. I think he'll. I think the NFL likes Madison a lot out there, and the, we'll look at it like Dalvin Cook 
kind of took some carries just because he hasn't gotten the carries or haven't been able to unseat Dalvin Cook. That doesn't mean Madison isn't still a fairly talented guy, reasonably mm-hmm. talented guy. Right. We'll see. Thank you though, Chad, for the $10 donation. I love your, uh, I love your ideas on that. Van Der Esch would be an improvement. Can't deny that. Byron D with a $2 donation says, would Steve Avilia be a good pick in later round? Um, I don't get the impression he'll be available in the later rounds. I think he's probably at least a top 140 guy. I'm going to make the guess that Byron D means this is the 20th pick in the first round. You think he's going to be that high? I didn't think Steve Avila was going to no, go I, that high. I think Byron D's question is is that. I don't think I think he's uh, going to go that high, but I think he that's what his I think his question he was missing a couple words there I think which was do you think be a good pick in the later first round? Like the later Yeah, I would not go that high for Avila. No, I the only in, in interior offensive lineman I would reach for with the 20th pick in the first round Byron would be John Schmitz. Um, because he's far and away the best center in this draft and he's, he's better than Avilia is as a guard or a center. Um, Avilia gives you a legit versatility like few guys in this draft do with being able to play guard and center and probably play left, right guard at that. He can play probably play both. He wasn't tremendously exciting to me on tape though, all around. He's a big body. He's got NFL size to him. Certainly NFL strength to him. Certainly, but there's not anything super really impressive for me that outside of second round and even in second round, I, honestly, Brendan, I kind of have more like a third round grade, but I'm pushing him up in the second round because he had such a good senior bowl and mm-hmm. so many people are kind of in love with him, but I, I've yet to be really kind of blown away by him. Mm-hmm. He's okay. By the way, if uh, Schmitz has a good uh, combine, I don't even think it's going to be a reach at 20. No, I don't think it's a reach right now, to be honest with you. It's yeah. not a reach because, and, and this is going to, Brendan, it's going to be the hard thing that honestly you're going to be dealing with your chat as well as we go through this. I've already kind of felt the tentacles of it. And it's people like kind of having to make their peace with some of these picks and where they're going to be in this draft and understanding that to some people they're going to look at and feel like very much reaches at times. (laughs) But a lot of the picks this draft are going to be driven by the fact that draft's weak and it's going to move things in a weird direction at times. Like taking a John Schmitz at 20 absent whatever performance he has at the combine because he's a safe player in a combine full of question marks and that that that's just it's going to drive it in that way brendan i can't can you see how it doesn't i mean or or do you think i'm off on that no no i i am starting to think that uh schmitz is going to be a first round pick and um he I, when i say first round i don't mean late first round and i do think that he has established himself as being head and shoulders above any other center yeah I agree. I, it just, it's, it, it is where it is on that. So uh, it will be interior linemen are going to do well in this draft, Brendan. They get to go all about a round higher than they should go because of the the dearth of them that's available. And, yeah. You know, we'll, but. we'll talk about this uh, in a few weeks when we get to the draft shows, but uh, you're going to have to sell me on Osiris Torrance because I don't really get it there. I got to be honest. I'm not in on either. It, it, yeah. Avila, you know what? It's it's funny you mentioned Torrance because it's like Avila and Torrance. It's like the same kind of stuff's going on with both of them. Like they're both big, right? They're both kind of, you know, meaty looking NFL looking body guys. But you watch the tape with them and you're just like, okay, they're just kind of, you know, battering around there in the phone booth with the guys. If we're going to start looking at these interior linemen and talk about them as movement. I mean, did you see anything in Osiris Torrance that showed you that he could pull across space, get out in front, get to the second level? Right. I saw none of that. I, I don't see any of that in his game. And I, mm-hmm. I go, okay, well, he's talented, but what, 
how does this fit in our offense? You know? Yeah. I mean, Torrance is going to probably end up playing right guard. I'm not spending a first round pick on a right guard. There's no way. No, there's no way I would even uh, either. And though I would go with Schmitz to the, to the, to the second, whether it's Avelia or Torrance, I'll go second round. And quite honestly, Brendan, I'm like I said, it's, it's with Avelia and Torrance, same thing. It's really probably early third round grade guys that go in the second round and I'll, you take them and you go, okay, but you're not getting what you think you should be getting at that point in the second round. Right. You know? So I, I'm not going to say on that one. He's it's, and he struggled in the, in senior bowl week, he struggled with pass protection stuff. Torrance did like he was strong in certain realms, but then he was struggling in then. And that just fits up to the fact he can't move his damn feet. He's so big, Brendan, that he just can't, it's all just slow, slow moving, kind of like an iceberg kind of out there. Yeah, exactly. That's my, that's my big thing. Yeah. Which doesn't, I mean, second round for an iceberg, you know, <laughs> I want to dance. I want a dancing bear, not an iceberg at second round. You know what I mean? Right. So can't sign up, but love it. Uh, thank you, Byron D for the donation, man. And Avelia is uh look, he's at least one of the safer guards in the draft, considering it's a draft with not very many safe guard prospects so he provides you at least i guess a little floor there if anything but not a big not much of a ceiling uh kevin mullen with another five dollar donation kevin thank you again for all the donations tonight on the channel man i really do appreciate you and salute you sir he says fun fact seattle spent 96 million dollars on our defense philadelphia 102 million dollars san francisco 110 million dollars our roi is not so great and these teams have the majority of their money on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what happens when your most expensive defensive player plays 15 plays and then has a fluke injury, right? It is indeed. Um, yeah, um, that's certainly the highest paid guy on the defense certainly is going to be a big, big impactful point because if you take out that, what did Jamal be, 15 million or something on the cap hit, that's that takes you down to um, $85 million which, you know, you're still not getting a great ROI is a good way of putting it. It's the return on investment is still not great at that point, but it's a little bit more improved when you, you factor in, you lost your main defender for the whole season, basically absent. Yeah. One and while we're at it, Quandre Diggs played the whole year coming back off a major breaking his leg. And mm -hmm. he was not the same for much of the year. I don't think, I think he started to kind of get back into things at the end of the year. But uh, I, I think that injuries definitely had a part to play in that. Now, you look at other air, like um, some of the money we spent on the defensive line definitely didn't pan out. And that had nothing to do with injuries. Right. Some of the money we spent at, oh, okay. I'm not going to say edge rusher. I think our edge rushers, we probably got our money's worth, but you see what I'm saying. I do. No, it's Quinn Jefferson, Puna Ford. Uh, Al, uh, Al Woods was okay in there, but um, there was one other guy I was trying to think of that I'm forgetting on, but yeah, it's, it's the truth. I think too, Kevin, this is where I've fallen a little bit in your statement of, this is why when people tell me that simply the defensive fix is all going to come from us just adding talent and that that will fix all of the issues that we've had defensively over the last three or four years. That's where I'm a little reticent to believe that. That's where I'm a little bit like, well, wait, you are dumping resources into this. You are spending money here at safety and you're spending money there. You're putting a first round pick on Jordan Brooks and a third round pick on Cody Barton and the money into the defensive line um, and a second and a third round pick on Daryl Taylor. And then here comes Ochin and Nuosu with another $10 million a year contract coming in. Like you are putting something on that defense. Um, and it's so it's a matter of just like burying more resources into the defense solely. And that's the only fix. I don't quite fully buy into that being, it will help. It's a big part of this. Don't get me wrong, but there's also a big part of this that has to go with getting better efficiently, better from a, a coaching standpoint defensively to put these guys in better positions to succeed too. 
Is that a fair enough uh, statement from your standpoint? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The I, I, I've made videos about this in the past, not just this year, but previous years, like the investment in the defense was there. You, we, I, you know, I had that, like that one off season where you bring in guys, like you spend not huge amounts of money, but you spend non-trivial money on guys like Benson Mayoa, Quentin yeah. Dunbar. You've spent that third round pick on Shaq Griffin. You spent the, what was it? A fourth round pick on Trey Flowers. You spend all that investment at safety with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. And yeah, at that point, I think, excuse me, a uh, Tedrick Thompson was involved. And then Lano you, Hill. Yeah, Lano Hill, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. And it's like, where's the ROI here? So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's the Kevin, the part where people I think are forgetting at times who just say specifically, well, we just have to add the talent. They're forgetting Carroll's had a couple times to turn this defense over, a couple of times to make adjustments. Hell, he's had three different defensive coordinators come through in the last few years just to try to get a, a new hand on deck to give him the ideas that he needs. So it's it's not simply that. And, and you're right to point out to the ROI with it where it's it, if they're going to dump those assets, you better get the returns out of it. And if you're not getting the returns, then it can't be simply that we got to go get more assets into that side of the ball because it becomes diminishing returns and you're not touching on the true problem at hand. You're not addressing what needs to be really fixed at that point, which hopefully they're trying to do this offseason, Brendan, to some degree. And, and, and it's not just looking at it from a talent standpoint. I, I truly do hope so. We'll see on that point, though. That's one of my big worries for us going forward as far as the team goes, is defensively we just remain kind of stagnant from our schematic approach of things. Kevin, thank you for the $5 donation, though, man. Appreciate you. Byron D with another $2 donation. Thank you, Byron. Says, uh, so when are you all coaching the Hawks? Well, we're all we're all signed up to go on with the new ownership group. So you guys don't know this, but we've secretly been in contact with uh, Balmer. And uh, he's got us all chartered to have a front office position as soon as he sell, buys the Hawks over. So uh, Brandon and I both have same titles, undetermined yet. Um, but uh, we're being brought in the fold at that point. So <laughs> I'm going to hope when I get fired after three days, I still get paid some of my, I still get the fully guaranteed contract. That's right. That's, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's a, we're package deal on it. And we're, we fully are, we know how the turnover rate goes with front offices. So we're insisting yeah. on fully guaranteed deals. If you're going to yeah, get us off the like I'm going to be like Cliff Kingsbury. I'm going to get fired and just jump on a boat to uh, where'd he go? Thailand. That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> going to be me. Exactly. Exactly. Retainer. Retainer. <laughs> uh, I, thought, uh, I thought Hackett was going to do that, by the way. I was shocked. He jumped right back into the NFL with that Jets job. I am too. I guess though, it's, it's probably a thing in the NFL, like players, you know, if you sit out a year, if, if you're out a, a year as a coach, it, it can probably be like, gets harder and harder to get back into it at that point, you know, or your reputation diminishes that much more, especially if you have like a bitter taste in your mouth from a bad situation and you're trying to like, you know, get yourself back turned around from your reputation, you know, that standpoint of things. I could see that pushing that just a little bit on that, but uh, Byron D we could all hope we could all hope one day. I, you know, I think me and Brennan would more prefer the, uh, the front office stuff than the coaching stuff. Coaching stuff might get a little, a little much for us on that, but Hey, we're here. We're here, Seahawks, whenever you need, man. We're here. Just call <laughs> upon us anytime. Um, well, let's look here. So I think we've gotten through pretty much all the free agents. I guess let's talk a couple, last couple ones here. Yeah. Uh, Penny, Penny Hart's a restricted free agent, so I won't include him on there. He's right. not listening through. I mean, he should he should easily fall through to the practice squad, right? Like, right. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just, I, that's what I want to do. Just let him fall through. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I don't see any others of major name here. Daryl Johnson was... 
whatever for us. I don't know if they bring him back or not really at the end of the day there. Did you have anybody else on your list that stood out? Uh, which long snapper do you want to keep? Tyler Ott or Carson Tinker? I'm an Ott guy. <laughs> but, I, you know, it, it's it's like that old, uh, you know, vampire battle between the, remember the, the, the two sides on that uh, Twilight series, you know? Oh, the werewolves and the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but it was like Jake against Bill or whatever the the stupid you know team. Oh, yeah, yeah, were. Okay. So, so, oh, you know, Edward and Jacob. Yeah, so you're either Edward or Jacob, so you're either a tinker or you're not, you know. And uh, it's a it's a ferocious fight going on amongst the fan base right now, Brendan. I can attest to this between the Ott and the Tinker people. It's it's hmm. it's pretty vicious. They're not they're not pulling any punches. I'll say that. Um. Okay. How about Tease Tabor? Tease DeBoer was an interesting guy when you found kind of the, the mix between him and Jonathan Abram, where Jonathan could be the run stuffer. And then you came in and passing downs, you brought in Tease to, to pay, do the safety pass stuff. But I think like Jonathan, you just go maybe practice squad, but I, I, you know, I think probably he just ends up, you know, fringe NFL guy. Um, I do think it's worth spending a couple minutes on what tender to put on Mike Jackson and Ryan Neal. So well, let's start. Let's start with Mike Jackson. What was his drafted original draft? Uh, fifth first? round. Fifth round. I would put a fifth round tender on him. I think that's okay. pretty pretty easy to do that at that point. Um, because it'd be great to get a fifth rounder back. You've got a log jam at the position as it stands right now, anyway. And to have one of these guys that you move for value at this point, um, especially a guy like him who then would be on the final year of his rookie deal after this season. So some of what I'm informed by at times this is like why I would like to move Fant, Noah Fant, or maybe even consider Shelby Harris moving. As you go a year ahead of stuff, you don't react to stuff a year late, but get a year out ahead of things um, in yeah. that respect of things. So if I he goes it. for you know next year nothing, or I get a fifth round tender now, if a team's willing to sign him, then let's pull that up. That's an instant fifth. That ain't a compensatory fifth. That's a fifth in this year's draft. And right. so, uh, yeah, I would yeah. do it all day. How about yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of how I feel too. It's not a huge loss. He's just a corner yeah. in a sea of corners that Pete always pumps out. So. Yeah. Um. I'm. Uh, either way, we win. If somebody wants to give us a fifth rounder for him, I feel like that's fine too. Yeah, that'd be great. Three fifth rounders, and there always seems like these interesting guys in the fifth round, doesn't it? There's always like that's right where the talent starts to fall into sixth and sevenths, where it gets really like, eh. You're on a wing and a prayer, hoping anything's going to be good from this. But fifth round, you can still find some stuff in the fifth that's kind of juicy, a little bit. All right. So Ryan Neal. It depends on what site you go to. Some sites have him as a UFA. But Field Goals posted this article that said he's an RFA, and I believe that is the case, but I'm not sure, admittedly. I'm not 100% sure, and everything I've researched has been conflicting this offseason. Well, let's attack it from both sides then. Okay. So if he is restricted, he was undrafted. So right of first refusal is just that. There's no draft pick compensation. Okay, so... Uh, okay, and then... Okay. That's not good. That's not great. Right. Um, so there's not really a, yeah. So that's kind of like, what is the, even if you did the restricted tag on him, right, Brendan? Cause the restricted tag is going to go back to the, I guess you could do the second round tender or something. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. 4.31. I'll do it. Would you do a third round? You can't do third round. There is no third round tender. No third round tenders because it's not the through the round. Yes, I'd go second round then. If that's yeah. in the opening to do, then that's that's the easy easy peasy one to do. That gives you the insurance from Jamal. And right now, Brendan, we need insurance for Jamal, and we need to set ourselves up in the draft not to have to be forced to take a safety with the one in the first four picks because of the desperation of that situation. If it was that way, yeah. 
And as much as it would leave us in a bad situation, if somebody wanted to give us a second round pick for Ryan Neal, uh, yeah, yes, please. Amen. <laughs> like, hey, and and look, that might sound crazy to some people out there, but he's coming off not just a merely decent season, not a good season. He's coming off an outstanding season at the strong safety position where he was one of the best strong safeties in the entire sport. Yeah, he made PFF's all protein. He did. So it, as much as that might seem like, oh, there's no way that could ever, no, no, it's, it's maybe not likely, but is it possible? It's possible. If somebody looks at that tape last year and jumps out of the way, especially again, because he was good in both respects. He wasn't like the one trick pony from the strong safety. He was good against the run and he was really good against the pass, which is going to appeal to those teams out there, especially running the Fangio stuff. They go, okay, well, he can do some of that hyper athletic safety stuff that we need in this defense as well. So yeah, that would be the way it goes. All right, let's look at him as a free agent. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick. Spotrack's projection, mm-hmm. they basically gave him the contract that the Cardinals tried to give uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. when um, <laughs> midway through Jerry Maguire. It was like literally one year, 1.3 million or something. Yeah. So that can't be right. <laughs> no, that's, that's not. He would get more than that in the open market. I've always thought the... Um, like a, a three-year, $18 million if he's just a true free agent. That, to me, feels right. Just yeah. Seven or eight guaranteed and goes from there. You know? I agree. I think that sounds about right to me, too. Yeah. Which, I do I want to move that deal at that point? <sighs> Brendan, you answer it first. <laughs> I just don't think you can. I uh, like yeah. I, I want to, but I don't think we can. So... I think that's a case where unless you're going to cut Jamal post June 1st, you can't do it. That's the only way you could do it at that point. Yes. So it's, it's restricted or bust or it's Jamal cut and resign. That's your only, that is your only real pathway because you are paying more into the safety position than any other team in the NFL as it stands next year by, I think probably Brendan, a wide margin. It's like second place. I don't think is tremendously close to us. And then you're going to top on top of that, a $6 million on average per year deal on, on top of that cost. It's yeah. not feasible. It's just not feasible. But restricted, second round, four million dollar one year deal. You could sure. you could definitely make that. You could make that work. So um, there. But this is again, you just brought up a good point. If they were to sign Neil to a contract extension, I think that we would know that the then forthcoming move would then be Adams to be then post June first designated as a release at that point. One would come in tandem with the other. Uh, how about the contact lens, uh, Tony Jones? <laughs> Tony Jones. Tony Jones, uh, he was okay. Not nothing special. We could do better. Even as a practice squad guy, I'd, I'd want to try to get a little bit more juice on practice squad than him. He didn't strike yeah. me as he ran hard, but not not tremendously quick, not tremendously fast. It's yeah. not not a lot of not a lot of talent there necessarily. Pure talent. Yeah, I think we've kind of gotten down to the uh, vet men or else guys. Um, I guess real quick, we could do our exclusive rights free agents because that's okay. just a super binary yes or no. Yeah. Uh, Godwin Igwebuke, 1.01 million. Yes. Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, John Radigan, 940,000. 100%. Mm-hmm. Cody Thompson, 870,000. Team seems higher on Cody Thompson than I am. Are, mm-hmm. are, are you feeling Cody? Well, the thing is, anybody you don't sign could just fall through the practice squad. A guy like Cody yeah. Thompson you'd end up paying him like what a quarter of a million bucks on the practice squad. I would just do that. Yeah. Cody's Cody's good. Let, let him slide on through. Oh, and here's the good one. Miles Adams, 870 K. 
all day long. I'm yeah. very high on Miles Adams moving into the future. He had the, yeah. uh, I was doing, again, do, just doing some research on the PFF scores on this, Brendan. Miles Adams had your, uh, what was it on this? Um, he was your fourth best. He had the fourth best pass rushing grade on the entire team with a minimum of 100 snaps or a minimum of 50 snaps. He had over 100, but a minimum of 50 snaps this year. I I, I just looked at the gauge of that. He mm-hmm. was your number fourth best pass rusher on that list of guys. So uh, very excited about him moving on into the future. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I actually think Radigan could fall through to the practice squad if you don't tender him because he hasn't really played in the NFL yet. I just think that the thing with that is that your middle linebacker right now position has nobody there. You sure. you have a- active roster is empty, um, and especially with Barton being a free agent. So it, he's... It's it's not as much as I think real highly of him. It's just I think you're going to need some warm bodies in there. And he seems to have pretty good ability on special teams. Like he's he's another one of those guys that can be can do that stuff pretty well, it seems like. So I'd probably say he ends up active roster right from the jump just because how it is. Yeah, and now we are truly down to the guys like Cullen Gillespie. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that dynamo. Yeah, uh, Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> um, yeah. Bruce Irvin. Yeah, so we've kind of gotten down to the bottom here and there's not much to uh, discuss, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job. I think we ran it down real nice. I did too. I, I We're definitely a couple of these guys willing to bring back into the fold. It's Everything's got to be at the right price. We're not in a go for a moment where any of these guys are we're going to have to feel like we're over the barrel on. It's got to make sense for the team at this point, Brendan. Um, I, I do think you and I are both still in that patient approach of this. Of We'd like this to be a contending season next season. We can certainly see the path of how this can take two years to kind of get there. And if that's the case on this a little bit, then you need to be patient in your approach and patient in in the signings and not get yourself pressing too hard for le- for a say- sake of desperation, Brendan, or the sake of the, the worry of missing out, I guess, a little bit um, on some of these guys. But didn't have, didn't have a lot of – we didn't do it. We didn't spend a lot of money on that, man. We were pretty frugal. You and I were, were pretty <laughs> – we're, we're pitching some pennies here because we're looking to go big, I think, for agency, aren't we? We're going to be doing a yeah, a and show. also we're just aware of the fact. I mean, whatever contract Gino gets from whatever team he gets will probably be more money than all of our other free agents combined. Oh, by a wide margin, I would say. Yeah, by a wide, wide margin. Like, like even if you include Myers, the contract he just got, it might still be the case. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think he's gonna he's gonna command a lot if he gets the open market. He's he's thirty five on up at that point, and I think very much why his team is at forty is that they understand the open market would be willing to pay forty if he was out there. You know, they didn't just go to a little bit over the franchise tag; they went well over from what we're hearing on their camp, and uh, I think that's indicative of that. Usually, agents don't do that kind of thing blindly; they're doing it because they're basing off what they're hearing from league circles about what people would be willing to get, and it's that desperation you come back to at the quarterback position and that need out there this off season from so many teams. Yeah, I'm telling you, the Giants are going to do us in. The Giants are going to give Daniel Jones like $40 million or a little bit less, and it's going to do us all in. And these teams keep thinking, man. They keep think, thinking they have to do it when, they, when they're when in this position to sign these guys, that if they don't do it, they're they're in hell. And I, just Daniel Jones, I know that there's excuses you can make for the guy and all that, but to be paying him $37 million at this point, um, to me is just, I, I, I they're going to regret that contract. As, as so yeah. many of these teams regret these contracts, so many have, Brendan, so many. And that's the thing people will get lost on, I think, at times with the just pay Gina, just pay Gina. It's like, how many of these big contracts are teams looking back on and going, this was really not the right way to go? Are the Vikings going to get to the end of this Kirk Cousins thing and say, you know what? Over five-year span, we should have paid Kirk Cousins. We The $215 million we spent Kirk Cousins was the right way to go. We got our return from investment on that. 
And, and I just think you go over and over and over and it's a no, 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 no. And then you get yes, no, no, no. And a yes. And a no, no. Why lean that way? Why go that direction? And I think the, the Giants are doing it because what, what if they don't, Brendan, right? You don't do Daniel Jones. What is your other move? Who is the guy that you're bringing in there for Dable at that point? Because you're not getting him in the draft where they're picking, right? So desperation, man, it ends up driving these situations rather than being the forward thinking, right? Rather than like being a step ahead in your approach, which so many of these teams just, it's reactionary rather than being proactive. Our, that's the nice part about our Hawks here though, man. We get to be proactive because of the options. Giants don't have the options. We got the options because we're still sitting at five. We could pull the Richardson ripcord and call it a day if we really wanted to go that route with it. Sure. Uh, another donation here from Corey Olson. Thank you, Corey. Hope you're doing well tonight. I appreciate the donation, brother. He says, I know it's off topic, but how would you guys feel about Levis at five? Who will be a better at the pro level, him or Richardson? Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still on the leave on the Levis train. I still like him. I still think he's going to be a good pro. Um, apparently he actually, uh, did you hear the thing they're talking about this week about how he got accepted into, uh, I think it was Harvard. Oh my God. Really? So really smart on top of all the other stuff. He's got this great arm mobility, good runner. Um, there are some things that he needs to learn, but, um, I, I like him. I continue to like Will Will Evis a lot. Um, I, I, Something was holding me back from the Richardson thing. It's like, I, I don't need you to be amazing in college, but I need you to not be terrible in college. And Richardson was, like, you look at his college career, he wasn't just okay. No, he sucked. His completion percentage was like 52% or something. So hmm. I admit that he could get to a point where he's a great quarterback, but man, I'm, I'm just not, I'm, I'm just not sure I'm willing to bet a top five pick on it. Yeah, Corey, I, uh, I I fall in line pretty closely with Brendan on this one. Um, Levis is a guy going back for a year now that I've been pretty hot to trot on, and I'm certainly not going to bail at this point in time as the star starts to rise to its highest point as it's been throughout that time period of kind of trying to bump him up. Um, I, everything Brendan said about him is where I find fall with him. Um, he's right there with Stroud as far as the one-two with me on this. They're both pretty close to me as far as how I look at them in this draft for different reasons. When it comes to Richardson, uh, I am high on Richardson, but Corey, I'm high on him in the respect of, again, you draft him, you're going to have to wait two years to see what you got. And it's very hard for franchises to do that. Look at how the Niners in the first two years of Trey Lance's career in that fan base are absolutely just about to have an internal civil war over whether or not this guy can be the possible guy moving into the future. Fans just don't have the patience to let these guys ride on the bench and develop the time he needs. Part of why Brendan's not getting that great year of tape from Richardson that he's looking for, that he would like to see to be able to feel comfortable in saying this guy's going to be this at the next level is because Richardson left a year early. He needed to go back that year in college. He needed to go back and play that year. I'm making a bit of my assessment as the guesswork to say, okay, I can see him four steps ahead down the line and this is where I see him going. But I will admit it is fully guesswork. I'm not basing it on more than what I'm seeing from his base physical ability and how he throws the football and his mechanics being pretty clean. And then him being what he is as far as a runner with the football and, and how that fits to the modern designs so very well, but you've got to give Richardson two years. He's not going to be ready out the gate. Um, and if we're taking him at five, that is a little high for me, but as many people have said as well, Brendan, when it comes to taking a quarterback at five, any of these guys absent Bryce young, who I'm really not wanting to take at number five, um, you're, you're, you're not going to be at this spot again. You're not going to be up this high again, probably to pick a quarterback this high. So 
this there, there's certainly a, a good argument to be made that you strike while the iron's hot and it's not going to be the, this hot again moving into the future. So if you took Richardson, waited the two years, I'm good with it, Corey, but I do think Levis is going to be the better pro. I agree. I, Richardson's the most talented, though. More, most purely talented quarterback in this draft, but yeah, not, I don't know. I, it's hard, man. It's that I mean, two years out, two years out. It's tough. Malik right? Willis was the most talented quarterback in the draft last year. And at this rate, I don't know if he's even going to be in the league in a few months. It's very, very true. It's very, very true. Talent is just unrealized and uh, unrealized potential and unrealized potential as I once heard in pro football, get you fired faster than anything else. So uh, I wouldn't want to be the GM pulling that trigger at top 10. I'll say that it's easy for me to say, I'd take him a top five, but I certainly would be just a little bit like, Ooh, Ooh, hopefully he's there. We'll see, but he's exciting, man. He's a fun uh, guy. And again, I maintain Brendan, you buy, he's going in the top 10. I think so. Yeah. I just, it does feel I right. So. Doesn't it? It just yeah. does. It does. It does feel right. Um, well, we got through all the uh, donations. Thank you to everybody. As far as all the donations tonight, as always, you guys are very, very kind. Do me this favor. If you guys could for me right now, hit that like button and also subscribe. If you're not subscribed here to the channel at the Hawks nest, I would really appreciate it as well. Head on over to Seahawks, Brendan Nelson's channel here on YouTube. Do a quick search there. Can find him popping right up. Get subscribed to his channel as well. We go back and forth throughout this off season. This week we're on my my channel here on Thursday. Next week, next Thursday we'll be on his channel and going back back vice versa until we get to next season. We'll be back to doing the the two shows in one. So uh, keep tuning over on both sides of our channel here. You got anything coming down the pike video wise, Brendan? Uh, I'm gonna wrap up my look at uh, free agents in the next couple of days here. Um, I've, I've had a whole video series looking at, um, the assorted free agents at each position. And then after that, I'm actually going to go a little dormant potentially for about a week, maybe take like a week off, uh, until we start to see like the franchise tag stuff start to happen until we start to see like open tampering open up. Some of the uh, pro days are coming up, I think in March. So there's some stuff coming. But uh, once you push all the uh, free agency stuff out there, you're just kind of sitting there waiting for free agency to happen. Very much so. Very, very much so. And Brent and I will be going kind of forward, looking a little bit more closely at free agency and going through some of this as far as when we do these shows, kind of going in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks on these as well. Uh, Chad Hart finishing up, finishing us up very, very nicely. Chad, thank you for all the donos, man, and appreciate the five dollar donation here. He says the Lions and Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. The Seahawks should be the night game. Start a new tradition. It makes perfect sense. Go Hawks. I, I like, uh, I do like having the Seahawks play on Thanksgiving. I got to admit that hasn't mm -hmm. happened a lot though. Has it? I think we've only got a, a few times. Couple, I think it, a couple times. Yeah. Last time was the 49ers game. So that was what almost no. Now nine years ago. Nine years. Jeez. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. You're right. Time flies. Time does fly. Yeah, I'm not against it, but um, I kind of like the rotation they have right now. Although, seems like that third third uh, Thanksgiving game is usually not very good because they have to schedule it so far ahead of time. It seems like usually it's not a very good game for whatever that's worth. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be that way. I also love how the Cowboys just always get to play on Thanksgiving just because, and I think the Lions too. I know it's tradition and all that stuff, but it's sort of silly to me that they just like they're just given those games all the time, no matter what. Um, but, uh, I'd be for it, Chad, I, nothing makes Thanksgiving bill better than a night game. You go through all the great day family, get your food, get your dessert, and then you got your game. Like that's, that's a pretty good day 
as far as uh, a Thanksgiving goes. So uh, we'll get back there, I'm sure, nine years. Hell, we've got to be by the sheer law of odds within the next two to three years back in it, right, Brendan? I mean, it's we're about due at that point, huh? So Yeah, especially if we have a team expected to be good, right? That's right. That's right. What do we play next week? What do, who are we in through the NFC next year? Or is it the NFC uh, East? Well, it would have to be – is it the East – no, I think we did the East in 2020. Who did we do in 2019? 2019, so we, I believe, was the South. But we so did we the, the South North, this year. North next year, then. We got the Packer, Packer, Lion. Or Packer, yeah, Packer, Lion. No, we did them in – okay, you're right. It is the East because we did the North in 2021. Right. There we go. Yeah. So we got the East open. So yeah, maybe we we don't get the things. Maybe we get the Thanksgiving game this year. You never know. Yeah. Maybe if we're playing the Cowboys, it's possible. So we'll uh, yeah. we'll see on that one, Chad. Maybe maybe your dream will be uh, uh, hit yet. Um, Brendan, but as we finish up today, I'm gonna throw you one little curveball here at the end. And Chad, thank you for that donation, man. Um, give me one bold prediction for your Seahawks this off season that you're feeling in your gut right now. I think they're going to do this. What are the, let me think here. Bold prediction. Be anything. It can be it can be anything on the board. Player player move, future move. Wherever you're at, <clears throat> wherever you could see with it, but just some what would be the one thing you're thinking you're feeling kind of like I think they're going to do this. Ooh. That's interesting bold um i i really do think that the team is going to do something a little braver than typical in free agency okay so i'm gonna say we make in terms of money the biggest free agent signing we've made since sydney rice that's a big bold. I love it, Brendan. That's a bold one because they don't spend money, like you said. They've been very frugal in this respect. So that would be a that'd be a big bold move for them to make. I got mine for you. We package our two second rounders to move up into the first. Okay, that's my big bold move for my three first round house. picks. Three, three first, first round. Ra- your Seahawks end up with three first round picks this year. That's my that's my big bold one right there. Mm. Big bold. Okay. Well, Brendan, thank you for hanging on with me here. We had two hour, two hours and 35 minutes. Got, I think, over 300 uh, people in here at one point or another. So thank you to everybody jumping on in. Really do appreciate it. Thank you as well, Brendan, for doing this every week. I love doing this uh, with you on the uh, on the BMB show. So we will be back on Brendan's channel next Thursday, 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time over on his angle of things. But thank you so much again. Appreciate you coming on in here. Please do get subscribed over to Brendan's channel. <clears throat> Right in the off season, Brennan's about to take a break pretty soon here, but uh, you know what? Uh, he still doesn't want you to forget. And I don't want you to forget either here. Okay. Just cause you're heading in the off season, just cause you're starting to think about baseball. Okay. Yeah. The Mariners are going to be great. All right. I get it, but you don't need to be forgetting here. We're a team that's on the precipice of a Super Bowl run. Don't know if it's going to be next year. Don't know if it's going to be the year after that, but you're going to be wanting to cover this team. You're going to be wanting to watch this team. You're going to be wanting to remember about this team. They're going to be good really soon, and they're going to be potentially great. So keep it at the forefront. Don't you forget. Don't you ever forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.